Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Thursday, June the 18th, 2020, titled Star Wars 2022 Movie Cancelled Rumors. We're glad that you're joining us, guys. And remember, if you're listening to the podcast, you can also submit a comment or question to be read on the live questions part of the show simply by using the tip link in the description of this podcast at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Aaron, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, oh, actually, you and I were just talking about this, actually. You know, Spotify has been making a big move lately and mm-hmm. podcasting continues to grow and explode and and you know the john campus show audio only podcast is available there if you don't want to go subscribe to it it's doing great Mm -hmm. um but podcasting continues to grow and explode and we just hit this incredible milestone where joe rogan ufc commentator stand-up comedian uh he's also one of the most popular podcasters in the world Mm -hmm. he just signed for those of you who haven't heard about this joe rogan just signed a deal with spotify to bring his podcast over to Spotify for a million dollars. I'm sorry, I misspoke. $10 million. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke again. Joe Rogan just signed an exclusive deal with Spotify for his podcast for $100 million. Spotify is doing some major, major moving and shaking, and the importance and the popularity of podcasts continue to grow. Well, Spotify just made another new major move. This And this one's actually really incredible. And I think this is going to fly under a lot of people's radars. But I think this is huge. They just signed a new deal, Spotify did, with Warner Brothers in D.C. And what's going to be happening is D.C. is going to be producing a series of scripted podcasts. We used to call those radio dramas. Mm-hmm. But they're now they're called scripted podcasts of their D.C. heroes. So you're going to get Batman stories in podcast form. You're going to get Green Lantern stories in podcast form. Now, it goes beyond just DC for Warner Brothers. For instance, they're even saying they're going to do a Supernatural uh, podcast with oh. more stories from Supernatural. Wow. Now, it needs to be pointed out that the report is specifying that this this podcast universe does not connect in with the DCEU. Mm, so mm-hmm. if we see Wonder Woman or hear Wonder Woman in one of these podcasts, it's not connected to Wonder Woman 84. It's not connected to right. that Wonder Woman. So it's going to be its own standalone thing. You know, the popularity of podcasts growing more and more, and we have been seeing more and more people doing scripted stuff, like Serial became a really interesting... Oh, yeah, I love uh, that. Ma- yeah, that, that became huge. Let me ask you, Aaron. Yes. As somebody who yourself has really gotten into podcasting and things like that, yes, yourself Kappa as well. Kappa Cancer, my pod, my brief pod, my brief podcast. Right. Which I'm considering starting it back up again, but as I as I progress past my cancer, I was like, okay, let me put this on the shelf for a bit. But now that I I, I might consider revisiting. So yes, I have I have a lot of experience in the world of podcasting. What is the place, or is there a place right now for? I mean, look, I'm just going to call it radio dramas. These are now radio dramas. Now, these podcasts are going to be radio dramas. But what do you you think about the idea of can podcasts that are scripted dramas, do they have a place? And then specifically, do you think there is a place for them in the genre area like DC? What do you think about this news when you hear about it? I think that this is going to be massive. And here's why. now that the world is reopening and people are starting to get back to work and people are starting to move about the world more often, uh, you're going to see people 
back to their commutes. I know people who have one to two hour commutes each way to go into the office. People who get on the subway and are, you know, in the subway for 45 minutes to an hour and a half on the train for two hours in the morning. You know, this is prime time for people to listen and get engaged and then get invested into new programs, essentially, um, programs that they don't that they can listen to while they're driving and still have the experience, the experience of storytelling. It opens up a lot more jobs for voice actors, which obviously which is great, very wonderful. Um, and, and I think that this is a, a huge sign of what's the next step in podcasting that's becoming, you know, really popular. We saw the evolution of podcasting uh, as it continued to grow and as people were just sort of sharing their opinions and there was a lot of like motivational stuff and self-help stuff and then a lot of like and a lot of interviews we've seen the different iterations of what podcasts can be and how essentially if you have an idea for almost anything you can do it on a podcast and someone will listen to it doesn't mean you'll make money on it <laughs> if you are if you're out there and you're like maybe i should start a podcast just know look at how long joe regan has been doing this yeah. and what he has built and what he has behind him not everybody gets a hundred million dollar deal however you too can have a podcast on pretty much anything you want now we're seeing this open up into the world of storytelling i think it's very exciting incredibly promising i love the idea yeah i mean just to, to go to think about about the finances of it yeah oh. joe rogan makes a hundred million dollars right we get thousands upon thousands and thousands of people download the audio only version of the john campia podcast per day mm -hmm. make around five dollars a day Mm -hmm. Make around five dollars a day. So it's like this this whole world of ooh, podcast, but but Joe Rogan. I mean, it's it, and, and listen, it's kind of like the NFL where once the the new guy signs the biggest contract of all time, that starts meaning everybody right. else gets paid. But so a lot of podcasters were very very excited to hear about Joe of Rogan course. getting a hundred million dollar deal. Of but anyway, course. guys, specifically the idea of DC. Are you interested in audio only? you know, radio dramas of these DC heroes and, and some other Warner Brothers characters as well, but let's uh, let's focus on the DC stuff. Are you interested in this? Do you think this could be like the next big thing? Are you not interested in all? Let me know what you guys think. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill, who writes, John, don't know if you've seen this, but Salma Hayek, Salma Hayek, <laughs> uh, recently revealed on Instagram the poster for the sequel to Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson's movie, The Hitman's Bodyguard, plus the release date as well. Personally, I love the first movie, and I'm excited about this. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, I really enjoyed The Hitman's Bodyguard. Now, it wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be, because the trailers were ridiculously good. And then you're pairing Ryan Reynolds with Samuel L. Jackson. 
And the movie is quite entertaining. Again, not one of my favorite comedies in the last number of years, but it's quite entertaining. And I had a really, really good time with it. And I know a lot of other people did. So it wasn't long after that that they announced that they were going to be doing a sequel. Now, of course, Selma Hayek was in the first one. She plays Samuel L. Jackson's wife. So this one, instead of being the hitman's bodyguard, it is the hitman's wife's bodyguard. <laughs> Now, this movie had a release date, but it has been postponed. But we are now getting our first look at the poster. And here's our first look at it. This is the poster. Selma Hayek shared this on her social media. And she also shared and wrote, because of the confinement, the release of a Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard has been postponed to the summer of 2021. I'm kind of bummed because I can't wait for you all to see it. And there we go. We get a good look at the poster. And again, I just had a really fun time with the first one. I just had a really fun time with the first one. I think this one carries with it that same potential. It doesn't even have to, this is one of those situations where it's like, I don't even really care all that much about what the story is right? <laughs> because I just like the dynamics of the characters. I just thought the characters were so great and their interactions and their dialogue together. I'm just sold on the idea of just sitting down in a theater for an hour and a half and just watching that chemistry. Mm -hmm. And you had Selma Hayek giving us a few more doses of Selma Hayek than on top of the ones we got in the first movie. I'm very excited about it. Again, yeah, a little bit bummed that's not going to be till the summer of 2021, but I do like the poster. It's nothing that we're going to remember for, for the uh, next coming age, but it's a good little poster. It just reminds us that this movie is coming. And I like the looks of it. I think it looks pretty good. Aaron, you're hearing about the Hitman Wife's Bodyguard. What do you think about the poster? And, and where's your anticipation level, level for the movie in general? So the Hitman's Bodyguard was not, I, I didn't see it when it came out. And I was completely unaware of anything that it had to do with. And so when I first saw the poster, obviously the first thing you see, it's kind of hard. They do it intentionally with the way that they design the poster. Oh, yes. It's kind of hard not to go, wow, saw my ex cleavage. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, incredibly talented, very smart, brilliant producer, but also, oh my God, her breasts <laughs> are just phenomenal. And um, and so, and the and the poster is specifically designed to make you zoom in on that. Not having any idea, I thought I was thinking the Hitman's bodyguard was kind of like the bodyguard with Whitney Houston and well, Kevin. Do you remember the marketing campaign for the first film? I don't. They, so they specifically play the right, song I, from that yes. for the original trailer. Right. So um, I was like, wait a minute. I, I'm very confused about the imagery not matching with my perception of what this movie is supposed to be. So I watched the trailer for The Hitman's Bodyguard and then I was like, oh, it's a comedy. And then I started watching every clip of uh, the Hitman's Bodyguard that was on YouTube. And I feel kind of the same way as you. Like, I don't really need to watch the movie. I feel like I kind of got all of it just from the clips because you're right. It is so much about the chemistry, so much about the the joy that Ryan Reynolds and um, Samuel L. Jackson had with one another. The scene with Selma Hayek and uh, Samuel L. Jackson where he's introduced to her. I think it's called... Um, uh, something in violence, uh, sex and violence or something like that, where she's beating the crap out of oh, all yeah, these yeah, guys. In the bar, yeah. And then she takes his beer, drinks his beer, breaks it off, and then cuts the guy's carotid artery. I mean, she's she Selma Hayek is so fun to watch. She's so exciting. You know, it reminds me, she said in an interview one time that early in her career, she was already a massive, massive star in Mexico. Massive. And when she first came to the U.S. to to you know build her career here, uh, she found out that an executive said no one wants to watch a woman who sounds like their maid, mm. and it was 
like that disgusting despicable display of blatant racism and uh, uh like just so gross but she was like oh really okay just watch me and she has built this massive career that has spanned over decades it's really something exciting to watch because in addition to being to doing really powerful performances she also doesn't seem to take herself too seriously as right. in hey i'm a 50-something-year-old woman, I'm going to get my cleavage out, shoot some guns, have a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think Ryan Reynolds ha could have co chemistry with a piece of construction paper. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines that I saw from one of the clips from the original is when he's talking about Sam Jackson the, as his character saying that he has single-handedly destroyed the word motherfucker. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's Sam Jackson! And everybody gets the joke. Right. So I, even though I didn't see the first one, I'm now, after seeing just the clips of the first one, I want to go back and watch the first one so that I can really be ready to go and watch the second one, which sadly we have to wait till 2021. But, you know, way to build anticipation with a really fun poster. I'm already looking forward to it. Question for you, for you guys is this. What do you think about the poster and are you looking forward to the hitman's wife's bodyguard maybe you love the first one maybe you didn't like the first one where are your thoughts on this right now jump down to the comment section below and let us know your opinions there all right with that down let's move on to main topic number two and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by uh uh Kai Ethan, Kai Ethan Judah. Kai Ethan Judah. Uh, thank you for putting in the phonetics of that Ethan in there because I never, I want to pronounce Judah. it Kajetan Dizuda. So thank you so much for putting in the, the pronunciation there because you know I suck at names. All right. Uh, he writes Hello there and greetings from Poland. Avatar keeps the record for the second weekend box office hold, having earned a stunning 1.8% less than it did on its opening weekend. To put that in context, most movies hope, hope to only have about a 50% drop. Avatar had a 1.8% drop, which is crazy. Uh, with the crazy situation the world finds itself in, do you think that Tenet could not just match that record, but even beat it? Tenet could become the first ever blockbuster that has amassed a bigger box office on its second weekend. May the filthy be with you always. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yes, now here's the thing. Normally speaking, when a movie comes out in theaters, movies make the vast majority of their business, vast, vast, vast majority of their business in their first two weeks of release. And a lot of it, most of that is in its first weekend. And what normally happens is you have your first weekend results and then a drop off. Hopefully that drop off is around 50%. Sometimes it goes over 60. Every once in a while when you got a real stinker, it's like a 70% drop off, but you hope to have it around 50%. If you can go less than that, that's great. Avatar did have a significant smaller drop off in its second weekend, which is I think like 1.8%. However, it's not the best one. Oh, really? Really? The best one that I know of, I could be wrong. There might be one that's even better. Cats. But I know. <laughs> No, surprisingly enough, not Cats. What? Um, but this is the first one that came off the top of my head. It's a little movie that I adore, and I, I've just come to adore more and more uh, over the years, and that is The Greatest Showman. Oh. The Greatest Showman, uh, I think it ended up with 400-something million dollars, or four or $500 million. It wow. might even be more than that. Its opening weekend was $8 million. Yeah. $8 million on over 3,000 screens. Oof. The following weekend, $14 million. Wow. The following weekend, $15 million. Uh -huh. It actually went up 
two weeks in a row. Uh, there might be another one that did it, but actually, in terms of percentages, Greatest Showman did even better than Avatar did in terms of percentages, <laughs> right. not total numbers, but in terms of percentages, it actually went up, mm. which is never happens. Mm-mm. Absolutely never happens. But it still brings up your point. What could Tenet do? Because Tenet's in a really interesting situation. It's going to open on July 31st. How many people go out to watch it is a question we've been talking about for months now. How many people will be rushing out to go see Tenet when it opens up in theaters on its first weekend? That's the big question. But with today's current environment and everything that's going on, you could make an argument that it's as time progresses, more and more people will become comfortable with going to the theaters. Maybe they don't on week one, but maybe Tenet opens on week one Everybody hears it's great. Everybody sees nobody's reporting that they got sick from going to the movie theaters. Okay, a week later, maybe more people feel like they can go back. Could Tenet end up being one of these very, very rare, greatest showman-like movies that actually takes a step up um, in its box office total from week one to week two? I think it's very possible. Here's one of the things working against it, though. One of the things working against it is the fact that there is limited capacity in the theaters. Uh, some are only limiting to 50%. A lot of movie theaters and places are limiting it to 25%. With that being the case, I could see theaters selling out in this first weekend with mm-hmm. 25, especially with 25% yeah. capacity, especially when I go into Los Angeles and I see all the restaurants are packed. So clearly there's a lot of people comfortable going out in public. So, and if they do pack out those 25% or 50% capacity theaters in week one, then there's really nowhere for it to go in week two. But it is an interesting thing. We could see a little bit of Hollywood box office history here with Tenet that weekend. Aaron, let me ask you the question. Mm -hmm. You know, considering that it's going to take some people a little bit of time to roll out going back to the theaters, but then again, you're also weighing that against capacity. Could we see Tenet actually make more money in its second weekend then it's first weekend. Why or why not? What do you think? So, uh, as you recall, on Monday after the show with Rob, you know, during the show, I was saying that I could foresee a push, a potential push of it not opening on the 31st, as they're now saying, uh, of July. But then as we were discussing it after the show, I was like, wait a minute, you know, the sooner that they open, even though they won't necessarily have a big opening weekend box office, which is my prediction, as they continue to stay open, the longer they're open with no other competition, the better they will do overall. And at the end of the day, it's the overall box office that we always want to, you know, look at. You know, yes, people will say, oh, we only made blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh, I'm sounding like you're making fun yeah. of people's voice. <laughs> uh, at the end of the, you know, there will always be people that will be naysayers of what it did opening weekend, but that will always come with the caveat. But yes, remember, it was the lockdown, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the sooner that tenant opens the longer it has to be in theaters without really much competition yeah like and Mulan so will be in there and that'll be about it right and so if you have like you know amc 25 that's got 25 screens then yes even though uh most of those will only be at 25 percent capacity 
even still, it's not 25% capacity of maybe two or three screens that it would be on in a normal time period. It's 23, it's 25% of maybe 25 screens or 25% of 15 screens. So ultimately you are opening up the opportunity for more people to see it on more screens. So it could actually even out as far as, you know, selling out the number of people that would have access to the film. If Mulan is really the only competition that it has, you know, that's going to be something that is ultimately in the long run going to add to their overall box office number. So uh, in that sense, I'm almost I'm almost willing I'm almost tempted to say that they should have just kept their July 17th opening weekend anyway and said, listen, we're going to you know, we're going to have a shitty first weekend, but we're going to be open a long time. Come one, come all because I won't be there opening weekend. I'm the one that I'm totally I'm never the person that's like, I'm going to run out and buy the new iPhone. I'm like, you all work out the kinks. So I'm going to let everybody else, you know, jump into the water first. Let me know how the temperature is. Tell me how deep it is. And then I'll t- dip a toe in. Uh, so I think that this is actually going to be overall. I really think that Tenet is going to end up doing massive numbers at the box office simply for the longevity that it's going to have because I'll go see it eventually when I go back to the theater but that might not be for another two months I don't know you know we all have our personal comfort zones and we all have you know our own levels of health that we have to be concerned about uh for me i'm going to take a little bit longer time i know for you you're really interested in getting back in there as soon as possible oh, yeah. amc was just advertising they're going to have spider-man into the spider-verse on july 9th so i'll i'll, oh. I'll so i'll probably be there for that there you get, go get a chance to see it but yeah the question then is for you guys what do you think is going to happen with tenant in its second weekend because of the situation could we see the numbers actually go up and actually i was so interested in knowing what you guys thought i made that the topic of today's question of the day now of course our questions of the day are put up in our community tab on our youtube channel so make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel so you can get notifications of those who participate in and i simply asked the question given the current unique circumstances do you think that christopher nolan's tenant will set a new box office record for biggest second weekend increase could more people going to the theaters in the second weekend than the first help that? We discussed that and more. And I put this up just before the show started. Right now, about 1,800 of you guys have voted on it already, and it's close. It's close. 42% of you guys are saying, yes, the box office will go way up on its second weekend. Mm-hmm. Fifty. I, I, I thought that number was going to be a lot smaller. I thought maybe 10% of you yeah. would think that. 42%. But 58% of you guys are saying, no, it will not break that record. That poll is going to stay up there, so you guys can go and check that out. So, guys, let me ask you. What do you think is going to happen here with Tenet going into its second weekend? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Patrick Brown, who writes, Hello, John and Rob, or Aaron in this situation. Hello. So after failing massively with two studio films in Charlie's Angels and Underwater, Kristen Stewart is returning to the indie space to play Princess Diana in the movie Spencer. Aside from casting a non-British actress to to play Princess Diana, the other concern I have with this movie is Stephen Knight, who, yes, wrote great movies like Eastern Promises and Locke, but he was also coming off of many misfires like The Seventh Son, The Girl with the Spider's Web, and Serenity. What are your guys' thoughts on this news? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, in uh, Spencer, what? Kristen Stewart's playing Princess Diana? This is what comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who wrote the following. 
The Stephen Knight scripted film covers a critical weekend in the early 90s when Diana decided her marriage to Prince Charles wasn't working and that she needed to veer from a path that put her in line to one day be queen. The drama takes place over three days in one of her final Christmas holidays in the House of Windsor in their, I cannot pronounce that. Sajingham. Uh, there you go. Estate in Norfolk, England. So that's the setting of it. It's of us. We're seeing this happen more and more actually in uh, biopics where instead of the biopic of the life of, mm. it's like this one pivotal week in the life of this My of week this with person. Marilyn. Yes. Or along mm -hmm. those lines. And one of the Steve Jobs things just looked at certain uh, special events in the life. So yeah. this happens over that that time plane. Let, let's start off with this, though. Talk about Stephen Knight. Stephen Knight, yes. Yes. He did do Serenity. Yes. And he did do Seventh Son. Yes. Those are awful. Yes. However, everybody's got a bad day at the office. Like you said, he directed uh, or he wrote, first of all, he wrote Allied, which was, it did not do big business, and that was with Marion Cotillard and Brad Pitt, but it was a good script. I mean, and I thought it was a nice little movie. An all-time great movie? No, but a good one. He did Locke, which I thought was a brilliant script, and it's really hard to write those types of scripts, particularly when it's basically one actor on screen. That's, that's tough to do. Did a magnificent job with that. Uh, then, of course, he did The 100-Foot Journey, which not a lot of people talk about, but it was a brilliant little movie that, that I thought was handled very well. The script was fantastic, all that kind of stuff. A lot of people like Peaky Blinders. Now, you know I'm not a big Peaky Blinders fan myself, but he wrote like 30 episodes mm. of Peaky Blinders. He's a good writer. He's a good writer. Is everything like this? He squat over and crap out gold every single time? Obviously not. That, 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 is, that is absolutely not the case. So let's move beyond that. What about this whole idea of Diana? being played by Kristen Stewart. Listen, I can tell you right now, Kristen Stewart, I don't care what I don't care if you think this is popular or not. I don't care if this bothers you or not. Kristen Stewart's a hell of an actress. She's a good actress. I've seen her in a lot of her indie stuff. She's got not as good as, but she's got very much a Robert Pattinson thing going on where a lot of the indie stuff she's done, she's actually been quite good in it. Like almost remarkable in some in some of the smaller ones she's done. Much like everybody, nobody watched the the smaller films that Robert Pattinson did. So when they cast him as Batman, everybody's like, what, you got Twilight Boys? No, no. They got Good Times Boy as Batman. Big difference. He's an incredible actor. She's a good actress. Okay. She's not British. I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't. How care. many British people play American characters? I, how all many Australian people? How many Irish? The Australians, the Irish, the British—they're all coming to take our jobs. Guess what? Newsflash: <laughs> the job of an actor is to pretend they're somebody that they're not. I don't care. Like who's who's my who's my boy? Who's my boy playing Superman back there? Henry Cavill. You think Henry Cavill's from Kansas? He ain't. Guess what? Newsflash. Spoiler alert. He ain't from Krypton either. Anyway, so like I, I don't care about that because to me, actors play people that they aren't. So I don't care that a British person plays an American figure. I don't care if an American plays a person that's a British figure. I don't care. All I care about is are they good? Kristen Stewart's a good actress. Now, yes, you pointed out a couple of films that she just did that did not go over well. The Charlie's Angels movie was not good mm -mm. i mean it just it wasn't good it had its moments but not good but that wasn't her performance's fault you know it actually her performance wasn't half bad now her and naomi scott actually were both pretty good in that movie anyway uh then you start talking about underwater again the problem with that movie was not her or any of the performances of any of the actors it wasn't their problem and it wasn't their fault 
Um, she is a good, solid actress, and most of the filmmakers in Hollywood know that. And so for now, look, was I surprised to hear that she was going to be playing Princess Diana? Yeah. Yeah, that one caught me out of left field. So did Heath Ledger playing the Joker. And I'm not saying she's going to win an Academy Award for this, but, you know, I'd say I think the casting's perfectly fine. I think the story is an interesting idea for a story. I think the screenwriter, yeah, he's got a couple of bumps on his resume, but he's also got a couple of really big wins. It just shows us he's got really high-end potential as a writer. Maybe it'll be crappy. Maybe it'll be his best work. We don't know. But I don't, I don't see there anything to be worried about there right now. He's got too much strong stuff. So overall, I got to say, I'm I'm interested. Look, I, my wife, Erin, I don't know if you know this, Anne is a royal fanatic. Mm -hmm. She's a fanatic about the royals. Mm -hmm. She Anything with like Queen Elizabeth's picture on it, yeah. she wants it. Anything, Any documentary, like Kaori will come over and they will literally two or three days a week sit down and just find various royal family documentary she she loves the queen uh the show on she the crown the crown sorry the yes. crown. she loves the crown it's an amazing show um it's hard not to. she's all that kind of stuff so i know my wife is really excited about this mm -hmm. she's more excited about it than i am i don't know that i'd say i'm excited about this but it's interesting i like the players involved so I, I color me intrigued i am intrigued by this project you heard about all this what do you think about it well, I, I do like these, uh, um, as Malcolm Gladwell would call it, these tipping points uh, where they show this pivotal moment in someone's life where they have to make a big decision that is absolutely going to change their trajectory in it. And, and, not in a subtle way, but in a massive way. And so the idea of going into this weekend and really digging deep, it's not a superficial story as we unfortunately have to just accept when we're dealing with the life of someone in a biopic, but to be able to really dig deep and get into the psyche of what was going on at that person, at, at that moment of that person's life is really exciting to me. I too love the crown. I cannot wait for the next season to come out. And part of that is because in the next season is when we will find out more about Diana and we'll learn more about Diana. I think she's such an incredible uh, historical figure with so many questions around her life and her decisions. Um, and I agree with you. You know, as an American actor, I love the idea that American actors can play British characters and, you know, Australian actors can play American characters and we can all, you know, and Scarlett Johansson can play a tree. Like, I love all of, <laughs> I, I love the idea that anyone can be anything, <clears throat> which, yes, is part of the job of an actor. I will say, though, there are certain types of roles that, um, for me, in my opinion, I think should be cast as who that per like closer to who the character actually is. And I'm not alone in this, and I know this because I did a very, very short-lived series. It made it two episodes on the air, uh, one of those first shows to get canceled kind of things. Um, I uh, It was a show called Made in Jersey that was on CBS, and it was starring my friend Janet Montgomery, who has gone on to do many wonderful things. I remember at um, Comic-Con, a bunch of buses having Made in Jersey. Oh, it was, like, no, yeah. it was the darling. Like, we all knew when we got cast, and like, it it was a thing. They were like, oh, a a CBS is obsessed with this show. Um, it's based off, you know, sort of someone's, it, it was a big deal. And we all knew, okay, we got the winning ticket. And then it got, and then it got picked up. We were not surprised by that. Um, but there was a lot of backlash because they said in all of New York, in all of New Jersey, where there's 
tons of actual like Italian women like a young Marissa Tomei who are actors you went and cast a British girl like really in all of New York you couldn't find one Brooklynite uh, who's Italian and so there was a there was backlash and I'm not saying that's the reason why the show failed the show failed for a number of other reasons um, but for me I'm not upset about the fact that Kirsten, is it Kristen or Kirsten? Kristen, thank you. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, Kristen Stewart, thank you. Um, I'm not upset about the fact that she's playing a British character, just like I wasn't upset about the fact that Renee Zellweger played a British character when she did... Oh, Diary? Yes. Uh, you, You guys know what I'm talking about. However, when you're playing Diana, I don't care. I care. Oh, and I also and, I, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter. And here's the thing for me, I don't know that Kristen Stewart is a good actress because I don't have any desire to watch her at all. Like at all. All I've seen her do is hosting Saturday Night Live and I was like I I I would rather do pretty much anything else than continue watching this episode it, it was just she i didn't see her episode of Saturday Night Live was not good it was her, her episode Saturday one of the worst good. i've ever seen and and the, here's the thing is the only reason why you go and, and he, i get it she's not a member of the groundling she's not a, an improv actor she's not someone who does uh you know sketch comedy I understand that the whole purpose of going on SNL is to promote whatever project you're doing and to let people see a different side of you so that they go oh my gosh I really like you I think you're really fun I think you're really engaging I want to go see whatever project you're promoting so when your appearance on SNL does the exact opposite of that you just don't go on SNL if you know that that's not your wheelhouse look look, a personality wise she's off-putting like when I watch her very in, much so when I watch her in interviews and I've by the way I've sat in a room I've I've interviewed her she is off-putting I, there's there's no doubt she's tremendously talented though and here's the she's thing she's a great actress Joaquin Phoenix also tremendously <laughs> out, off-putting yes he is tremendously <laughs> and you know what I don't care because I've seen enough of his work to where I go, oh, you're totally a weirdo and I would never want to be friends with you in real life and that's okay. I don't need that. I just need to know that you're an amazing actor and that you, what you and, and I because and I also I bring up the Joaquin Phoenix because I don't want it to be that trope of like she's not likable like I don't care if an actress is likable or not I don't I don't give a fuck about that you can be the biggest twat on the planet if you are talented I will watch you this is the first that I've heard that Kristen Stewart is talented <laughs> and only maybe because I just don't talk about her that often but I fully plan on going into this conversation being like why in the hell would you cast her and she can't but now I'm like okay color me intrigued so now I'm interested in going now can you if I wanted to see Kristen Stewart in a movie where I go holy shit my pants are blown off it is Thursday after all um (laughs) I'm gonna go check out Kristen Stewart's acting chops which according to you are fantastic what movie would you recommend that I go see I would start with Runaways where she plays Joan Jett Um, okay I I and and she's uh uh, one of the uh uh, who the two young girls that are sisters uh uh, why am I forgetting the heart sisters no no um, um one was the oh, most God. popular child actress in the world. Now her younger sister is becoming really. And I, why am I freezing on it? I Someone in the chat knows it. But I, I'm saying. But then it's like. Um, um, uh, then she did one called On the Road. It's it's a long list. So of run. Indie, well, I know that she's done a lot runaways. of indies. So Runaways. Runaways. Which, I'd say if you want to start with one right there. Okay. Start with Runaways. I actually thought she was really really good in that. It's not the 
best movie. It's a good movie. That was the thing is I remember the movie was going to come out and I was super excited about it. But then I didn't really hear much about it afterwards. So you're saying the movie, not so much. But see, that also makes me wonder, like, she doesn't have a great track record for choosing good films. Joaquin Phoenix has a like if he doesn't love it, if he doesn't feel it move like every molecule in his body, he doesn't do it. Kristen Stewart has chosen a lot of stinkers, so it makes me kind of go, oof, I don't know. But you know what? I I trust your opinion. <laughs> I'm willing to give her a shot because Kristen Stewart totally gives a fuck what I think. <laughs> um, I'm sure she's sitting at home right now going, hmm. Uh, so, but that's good to know. Uh, maybe I shouldn't rely on someone's SNL sketch comedy performance to determine whether or not they should have a uh, continued acting career. Um, so I will put my doubts aside. I will go check out The Runaways. And you know what? The next time that I come back for next Thursday, I will, I will maybe eat some crow or I'll say, you know what? She's going to suck as Diana and I think they should recast her. Well, listen, but I'll back up what you're saying. If you're, your only exposure to Kristen Stewart was watching her in Twilight and her Saturday Night Live appearance, I can't blame you for, have, for not thinking. I can't blame you because those aren't good impressions. Those are not great impressions. But I'll tell you what, she it really shocked me when I started watching her other films after Twilight. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, hell, like she's I remember. I think the first movie I might have seen her in was she played um, the daughter in Safe Room. Is that mm. what it's called? Uh, where she played the daughter? With Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. She yes, was the daughter? She was the daughter in Safe Room. Oh, my God. Kristen yes. Stewart's a good actress. <laughs> That's right. I remember that's the first thing I saw. And I remember. She's really good. Okay. Really well, you good know what? That, yeah. There you go. It took me sooner than I thought to eat some crow. All right. Fine. That's all you had to say was Safe Room. I remember. I don't. I didn't remember that it was Kristen Stewart, but I remember the movie. I remember the daughter. Yeah. And yes, that was a really great performance, and that was also pre Twilight. And that so, was pre Twilight, yeah. Was, you know, so I, I let's let's chalk it up to bad management. Um, I still don't know if I love the idea of her being Diana. Again, but you yeah, know but what? That, then that comes down to a philosophy thing because totally, to me it's like all I care about is is it a good actor and are they are they going to give a good portrayal and a good performance? That's all I care about. That, right. That's all I care about. I don't like to bring any agenda baggage. Uh, into it about you know it's got to be you know if, if you're going to make a movie about Pierre Elliott Trudeau one of the greatest prime ministers in Canadian history uh, none of you know who that is um, if you're going to uh, make it it's got to be a Canadian actor no it doesn't it doesn't have to be a Canadian actor just make it a great actor and I, I'll right but you're talking about someone that n no one outside of Canada knows. But and as a Canadian, I'm saying I don't care. It doesn't have to oh, be a Canadian I see. actor. Okay. Just make it a good actor. Just make it well, a you good guys movie. are also really nice. The Brits, <laughs> kind of snobby. Kind of snobby. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you th look? A, a lot of you are not like my wife that where you're fascinated by the royals and you don't care about Kristen Stewart. So a lot of you aren't going to be interested in this. But I, I got to tell you, I'm interested. Not super hype, but I'm interested. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. With that down, let's move on to our fourth main topic today. And our fourth main topic today gets sent in to us by Aaron Antofel, who writes, Hi, John. One of my all-time favorite comedies is Wedding Crashers. You and me both, Aaron. Uh, I saw <laughs> on Twitter today that the director is saying that a sequel is still possible and could look at the guys now in their late 40s and having to go back into the dating scene. What would you think about a Wedding Crashers sequel, or is it too late for it? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And listen, this represents one of the best 
close eras of comedies ever. Because it, I, I can't remember the exact dates. I didn't look it up. Uh, maybe, Aaron, you could look it up. But I shall look it up right now. It feels like Wedding Crashers and 40-Year-Old Virgin. Mm-hmm. I think they came out within the, within the same year of each other. I think they came out like within a year. And those are like two, well, Wedding uh, – 40-Year-Old Virgin is my all-time favorite comedy. Wedding yeah, Crash, 2005. They both they came out both the same came year. They both came out 2005. Mm-hmm. I remember them and just thinking like, does it get better than this? And, you know, the, the original Anchorman wasn't too far separated mm-hmm. from that either. It was a great era for comedies. Wedding Crashers is one of the great ones, and it introduced the world to the game of Let's Play Just the Tip. And for just for that alone, <laughs> it, we all owe this uh, movie a huge debt of gratitude. The movie was absolutely hilarious. And not only did you have Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, but you had you know Isla Fisher, who a lot of people oh, have never even yeah. heard of before. Rachel McAdams, who mm-hmm. was just starting to become this really yeah. big star. Bradley it really made a Cooper. lot of people pop. Oh, yeah, Bradley people Cooper. People forget Bradley Cooper was in that. Eh? He was the idiot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, brother-in-law sort of thing. I mean, it just a whole lot, a whole lot was going for it. Well, now, yeah, there's there's word. There was an interview just done recently with the director of that, of that film, uh, David Dobkin. And he was asked about the possibility of it. And he was talking about how, you know, uh, you know, me, Owen, uh, Vince, we, we've talked about, it. we never really saw a need to go back to it and all that kind of stuff. Everybody keeps asking us to do it. And we keep saying no. But anyway, then he said the following, he goes 10 years later after, you know, the originally being asked about it, when I was asked again and I hung up the phone after saying no, I thought about it and I'm like, well, I'd be curious what it would be like for guys in their forties who end up being single again and have to go back out in the world. What a weird, difficult, challenging story that is. And as long as there's a real story in the middle of it, to me, it can be a movie. Now, he also went on to imply that there's a script written, that he doesn't think the script is quite there yet, and that Owen and Vince haven't read that script yet. But he says it's coming along. It's there. So he's just throwing out there that the possibility for them to do another Wedding Crashers is absolutely there. I have two different sets of feelings about this. The one feeling I have about it is, oh my God, yes. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I, I desperately would love to see this again because just kind of like, uh, what we're, which we're, we're talking about the Hitman's Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Just like the Hitman's Bodyguard, I almost don't care what the story is because I just love these two characters together. Not necessarily these two actors because they did that one called what was that? Where they were? Oh, where they worked at Google, yeah, yeah or Google-like company interns, interns or something like that. They were or something yeah. along those lines. Mm-hmm. Not good. But these two, as these characters and their dynamic as these characters, to me is just absolute money. And by the way, quick little Vince Vaughn story. There's so money, baby. <laughs> Vince Vaughn. Uh, the first time I met Vince Vaughn, he came into our offices when my office was still at the AMC theaters mm-hmm. in AMC Burbank. He came in for like two hours because he was doing this movie called The Delivery Man okay. uh, with Chris Pratt. And him and Chris Pratt came into my office for like two hours. We did a big interview about it. And then they did this like Twitter live Q&A uh, from my office for like another hour. And the guys just hung out and they were hilarious and wonderful and and got to meet Vince and had a really good time. and. All that kind of stuff. Fast forward like two years. Anne was still working at Hasbro. And they had a, a, a work conference at a hotel in Santa Monica or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there she's in the foyer of the hotel. And she's standing with some of her workmates from Hasbro. Mm-hmm. And she hears a voice. Anne. 
and they look over and it's Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Vince Vaughn, who was like a year or two earlier, maybe about a year earlier, had talked to Ann for like a half hour. Mm-hmm. He is considerate enough and attentive attentive enough. Because I was, I'll be honest with you, I, I things go in one ear out the other for me. I meet somebody, I'll forget their name 10 minutes later. Not because I didn't care, but because I just forget their names, right? This was like a year later. Uh-huh. Vince Vaughn, who doesn't have to say shit, who yeah. doesn't have to care about the people he's talking to right now if he didn't want to. Like a year later in a random hotel lobby, Anne, first of all, made Anne look like a superstar. In Obviously. Front of her husband, like all of her house. Oh my gosh. Co- yeah. like, how do you know Vince Vaughn? <laughs> and he said, uh, super, one of the nicest, classiest moves ever. So I will be a Vince Vaughn fan for life yeah. because of that. Chris Pratt did something similar. But anyway, uh, super nice guy. Could, couldn't have been nicer. All this kind of stuff. I'd love to see these two guys together again doing another wedding crushes i really would mm-hmm. <laughs> i hate the idea though because i'm sorry i just went th- i went through wedding crashers and it was about owen wilson and rachel mcadams ending up together and you know what the isla fisher and vince vaughn one i can see that because it's it was it's so uh volcanic. erratic erratic yes so i could see yeah maybe after about 10 years that relationship didn't work out okay i could <laughs> the see. fun were off and then but reality. i don't want to go back to wedding crashers if owen and rachel aren't still together that um that make my heart sad right just reading that made my heart sad yeah. and i don't like the concept is really cool about a, guy, a couple of guys in their late 40s who are suddenly single again back into the dating scene particularly these two characters there's something interesting there but i'm not gonna lie i'm too invested I'm too invested in the idea that they're not together anymore makes my heart sad. Anyway, as far as is it too late? I don't think it's too late. We're seeing more and more movies with making returns to their franchises. We saw mm-hmm. it with Creed. We see it with Star Wars. We see it with like everything. I don't think that's too late. These are still too... Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn are still two very relevant names. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody remembers this movie very, very fondly. Yeah. I think you could do it. And with Bad Boys for life just doing the business right. it did mm-hmm. you can do it I, I just i'm torn i don't know aaron you hear about this is it would, would it be a good idea to go back to wedding crashes again and would you be interested so the thing that gives me hope about this is that the director says if there's a story there that he's all like he's he's already saying let, let's there let's talk about the story and based on what the story is then yeah let's investigate that and i do think that they're there's my initial reaction to this was a little bit of revulsion because be, spending my 20s in Los Angeles, um, there's just the whole dudes in their late 40s, uh, you know, trolling for 22 year old girls. It just like in theory the for word some you're guys for is awesome. See, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the perception. But like, oh I, no, it's not. No, that's not. We we know that's creepy as hell. Like, it's I, I think it's, fu- it's, it's fucking hell. gross. And here's the thing, like, I and and I I know those guys. I'm friends with some of those guys. They either never got married or they got divorced or like they made a ton of money and all of a sudden like their option of the you know the attractiveness or whatever physical qualities of the women that they could date all of a sudden changed. And most of my friends who are in that world, yeah, their Facebooks are all like, look at, you know, bottles and models and boats and Bottles and models. I mean, but they are miserable people at the end of the day. They're miserable. Their Facebook looks really exciting. They are 
miserable. And so I guess knowing that, like, I don't want to see Owen Wills. Like, I want to see them trying to go back and date, but like dating women in their 30s. I don't want to see them trying to date girls who are like going to their sorority meetings the next day. So if you're gonna, you don't want to see, you don't want to see Owen Wilson trying to hook up with Adriana Grande or whatever. How are you? Ariana Grande. Yeah. yeah. So if if the if she is young enough to be their daughter, let's not go there because it's it's just creepy and it's gross. Now that being said, I love the idea of people. You know, these two characters who are newly single who are all of a sudden having to figure out the difference between like. I don't know, Hinge and Grinder or whatever. You know, like I, I don't know what the new dating app is. Back in my day, it was Tinder. Um, but, you know, a lot of things have changed, not just about uh, the way that people meet one another on apps versus like in person at bars, at restaurants, whatever, but also just um, the, 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 just the way that people interact now, you know, the prevalence of, porn making a lot of people asexual that's like a thing now is people are just like yeah i just like apparently the like i've been reading these reports that like people are having less and less and less sex than they ever have in the history of the world you know people are too busy watching youtube you know it's like and so it would be very interesting um you know and also how do they how do they navigate in a post me too world mm. you know dating's very different now than it was even five years ago 10 years ago and so for these guys who were so blatantly you know overtly sexual and flirtatious it would be very interesting to see how they navigate that and what's okay and what's not okay and what gets me slapped and doesn't get me slapped and it, you know like it would be very and and given their sort of naive uh a sweet but dopey mentality about it um i think that it could be really fun but i agree with you it has to still have that um that heart to it and wedding crashers it wasn't just about oh you know lower back tattoo might as well be a bullseye there's lots of great one-liners like that but the real thing was at the end of the day, the story had heart. Yeah. You were rooting for them to get together. That, that's how it's similar to 40 year old virgin. And that's why right. I adored both those. And movies that's so why much. the movies worked because if it's just about gimmick and it's just about a concept, yeah, it'll be like, uh -huh, but it's not going to be a movie that you can watch over and over again. You know, it's gotta be like pretty woman. If it was just about, you know, a hooker and a John, that's not a story, right. but it was a love story. You really rooted for them. So it didn't matter what she did or, you know, what he did. Wedding Crashers, it didn't matter that they were, you know, both kind of scummy and slept around a bunch because there was a heart to it. So I love the fact that they're, that they're investigating this and I'm looking forward to seeing what the story is. What I just don't want to see is them to regress and go because part of the whole evolution of, of Wedding Crashers was they went from just... Let's get out there and just ha and party it up. And, mm -hmm. and there's a great line. Actually, one of my favorite lines in the movie, you know, they're sitting, they just finished uh, their wedding crashing season and they're sitting on, I think they're in Washington. They're si sitting on the steps of one of the big buildings and you go, we're just a couple of young guys doing crazy things. And Owen Wilson says, we're not that young, you know, and, and that was <laughs> back in 2005. That was 15 years ago. And it was about them mm -hmm. progressing from just that to wanting something deeper and wanting something more yeah. meaningful. What I don't want to see if they do another Wedding Crashers is now revert completely back to what it was. And then the whole movie is, is again about them. Oh, maybe I want something deeper. We already went through that. I feel so like it would actually be the reverse, that they 
have then seen that there is something deeper. And so then they go back out of the dating world wanting to connect with people and realizing yes because that was that's the thing is like tom and i'll get into an argument and i'm like i'm fucking done with him i'm gonna i'm like i am a little emotional sometimes i say things that i don't mean um but you know i'll but i have some friends that are potentially going through a divorce right now and tom and i just go oh god it's so awful out there. Why would people want to go back? <laughs> Why would you want to go back to that? Um, so I, I, yeah, I think that if they go, that's actually a really good point. They go back out into the dating world knowing how fulfilling and great something deep can be. Right. So and I'm, they're looking for that, but everyone around them, all the women around them are super... The roles have now reversed. The, in many, totally. In yeah. All right. Question here is, guys, what do you think about the idea of the possibility of going back to a wedding crashes? Maybe you're kind of of the opinion of, you know what? That first movie is perfect. Leave it alone. Maybe you're thinking, God, I would love to revisit these guys again. Maybe you're thinking like, man, maybe it's too late. Maybe it's not. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Fahid A, who writes, Hello, sir. After the canceling of Star Wars Celebration, I've seen a couple of rumors appearing saying that the 2022 Star Wars movie that is supposed to be happening may have been canceled. Do you know if this is true? I would be very disappointed if it is. Why would they go four years or more between movies? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Okay. So, yes. For those of you who aren't completely caught up to speed yet. So, it was just announced the other day that Star Wars Celebration that was supposed to take place in Anaheim has been canceled. Uh, and it wasn't just delayed. It's been canceled. And now the next Star Wars Celebration doesn't happen until 2022. So, two more years off. And yeah, surprisingly, I saw a couple of emails come in yesterday saying, John, I'm, I'm reading rumors that the 2022, because there's supposed to be a Star Wars movie coming out in December of 2022, that it was originally going to be the movie by the two Game of Thrones guys. Uh, that was the Star Wars movie that they were going to do was 2022. They're obviously not on it anymore, but they still held it there. Then reports came out that that December of 2022 Star Wars movie was going to be about High Republic. And then all this news about High Republic came out and everybody's talking about High Republic. But now anyway, after the cancellation of Star Wars Celebration, there have been a few rumors starting to float around that that movie has been canceled. Here's what I can say to that personally. I don't know 100% uh, whether it's been canceled or not. I just can't see it being canceled right now. I just don't see it being canceled for a couple of reasons. One, 2022 is still a ways off. December of 2022 is still two and a half years away. So it's not like, oh, they should have been in production already and all that kind of stuff. No, that, that's that's not true. We wouldn't have been there yet. So we're perfectly fine as far as that goes. The other thing is this, is that we have been hearing lots of movement on this whole High Republic era stuff. Star Wars seems to be moving now into the High Republic era which is, I think they said is going to be about 300 years or so before the events of the first Star Wars movie. They already got a huge writer's room together. Claudia Gray, the writer of Bloodline and uh, most prominently Lost Stars, the Star Wars novel Lost Stars, one of the best Star Wars novels ever written, as a matter of fact, is one of the people in those writing's room and she's already working on a novel for High Republic. They seem to be going in all in on High Republic stuff. The reports are that 2022 movie is supposed to be High Republic, all that kind of stuff. 
I am personally not seeing any reason to believe that that movie's been canceled. Now, Star Wars and Lucasfilm lately have a habit of having projects that are supposed to be happening and then they get derailed or lose directors or lose writers or just get canceled or get delayed by a whole bunch. That happens a lot. So there very well could be some validity to this. There very well could be. But everything that I'm personally seeing right now seems to suggest that it's still happening in 2022 of December. I don't know for sure. I simply don't know for sure. I'm just saying from everything that I've seen in front of me right now, it seems to me that it's still moving forward towards that and all the High Republic stuff seems to speak to that. So that's that's all I know about that for now. And I do hope they return with 2022 because I don't want to go back into an era where we're getting a Star Wars movie every four years or every 10 years, whatever. I'm not, look, I think one movie a year is perfectly good. If the MCU can put out four movies a year, I think Star Wars can do one movie a year. And I think they'd be good with that. So I hope they're holding on to that date. It feels like they're holding on to that date. I don't see anything credible yet for the rumors suggesting that's been canceled, but that could change. Anyway, Aaron, you hear about this. Uh, do you think that the Star Wars 2022 date that they've been holding for a new feature film is going to be canceled or bumped? Or do you think they're going to hold on to it? I mean, there's no reason at this point, at least, that we would think that it would be canceled um, without them announcing it. You know, we were just talking before the show about some of the productions that um, that I've that I'm involved in that I'm hearing are supposed to start shooting as early as right after Labor Day. Um, you know, productions are starting to open up. You know. I just think it's way too early to try to make that kind of speculation, um, especially when we've given when we haven't really been given concrete uh, information about why they would be canceling it. So, so there you go, guys. Question is for you: What do you think is going on with Star Wars here? Obviously, they got a lot of work going on with their television stuff. We got Mandalorian season two coming. Oh, Ewan McGregor was just talking yesterday about the Obi Wan series. They're still making progress on that, although it's been delayed. Oh, okay, we still got Cassian Andor coming. We've got this other new one, like all this stuff. What do you think is going to happen with this December 2022 thing? I think it's still going to hold on to it, and I still think it's going to be High Republic, even though we haven't got any firm confirmation of that. It seems like all signs are pointing to it. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all the main topics done, we're going to move into the live questions. going to let you guys know you can still send in a live question. Just use the tip link that's in the top of the description of the video below, or you can enter it in here, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show here in the second part, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break here, and we're going to take this opportunity to let Erin get out of here. We've taken her over time here. So Erin, thank you again for being here so much, and where can people find you and your adventures online? Oh, you can go and check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron L. Cummings. And since we did start this show talking about podcasts, uh, I have a six-episode podcast called Kappa Kappa Cancer. If you are going through treatment or you know anyone that's going through treatment and you want to send them their way, uh, there's a lot of useful information over there about my personal experience going through breast cancer treatment. So until next week, until next No Pants Thursday, <laughs> take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye. All right, I guys, know. and uh, I will be back in just a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to stretch my legs, rest the vocal cords, grab myself a refill of my drink. So hang tight, guys. Don't go anywhere, and we will be right back. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as I took a little bit of a break there to refill my drink. And uh, guys, make sure you check out all the stuff that Aaron is doing as well. All right, with that down, let's get into your live questions. And we're going to start things off here with Willow, who writes... For Pride Month, 
I'd like to recommend Francis Lee's directorial debut, God's Own Country. I'm not familiar with that one. It's available on Netflix. It's been described as a York... Yorkshire version of Brokeback Mountain, but I think the two are thematically quite different. Have you seen it? What's it called here? God's Own Country. Let me see here. Um, I'm not, it doesn't ring a bell. It's a 2017 film. It's funny you mentioned Brokeback Mountain because the poster kind of looks like it's going for a Brokeback Mountain feel. Spring Yorkshire, Young Farmer Boy, Saxby numbs his daily frustrations with binge drinking and casual sex until the arrival of a Romanian migrant uh, worker uh, for lambing season. For lambing season, not a phrase I've used a lot before. For lambing season ignites an intense relationship that sets Johnny on a new path. Yeah, even the poster looks a little bit uh, Brokeback Mountain-ish. I have not been, I've not heard of this film before. Thank you, Willow, for putting that on our radar. All right. Next up, uh, Dragonborn Druid writes, Avatar's second weekend dropped by only 1.8%. Oh, we, we just talked about this as a main topic. Uh, holds the record for the lowest drop of wide release film. Actually, it, it doesn't because Greatest Showman actually went up uh, in its release. Anyway, holds the record for the lowest drop by wide release film. Over under 10%, Tenet can come in at least and in, in, in at less than a 10% drop or actually increase in its second week due to the slow increase of people returning to theaters. Again, that's the one thing it's got going for it is that there are going to be more people as the weeks progress coming to the theaters again as they get more comfortable with it. But at the same time, it's already going to be a limited capacity. So I'm going to say it has a 30% chance, which is pretty good. I'm going to say it has a 30% chance of taking less than a 10% drop, maybe even an increase. So I'm going to give it a legitimate shot at around 30%. All right, next up, Django19 writes, one of two. During the quarantine, I decided to get off my ass and start working out. Didn't really have time before since I worked two jobs, uh, but now I'm free in the morning, so there is no excuse. Still crave a soda now and then, but I just bought some Zevia. There you go. That's what I got in my cup here. I got some Zevia Cola in my cup, and it's pretty good. It, it, it Seriously, the more you drink it, the more you realize this is pretty good. Uh, my favorite flavors are cola, grapefruit, lemon, lime, and mountain Zevia. What are yours? Drinking a lot of water, better diet, and one Zevia day has helped me to lose 10 pounds. Good on you, man. That's great. My goal is to lose 15 to 20 more listening to the show while I go run. Thanks for plugging Zevia. Well, I'm glad you're using it. Zevia, sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Um, listen, I'll tell you, I that's the kind of the same story for me. Like, I literally used to do, uh, when I was back at the movie blog days and I would do like a daily show podcast, I would literally go through an entire two liter bottle of cola and then over the rest of the day, go through another two liter bottle of Coca-Cola. I was literally drinking two two-liter bottles of Coca-Cola a day. Yeah, it's every bit as disgusting as it sounds like, uh, but I just loved it. So when I realized how many calories were in Coca-Cola, I decided I'm going to start drinking diet soda. I started with Diet Coke. I'm not a, I, I, I'm okay with Diet Coke. I'm not a huge Diet Coke fan, but then I tried Diet Pepsi and I really prefer Diet Pepsi. Like I prefer Coke over Pepsi, but I prefer Diet Pepsi over Diet Coke. Go figure. Anyway, so then I was drinking a whole ton of Diet Pepsi. And then I realized, then I started finding out about all the the crappy things that artificial sweeteners do to you. So then I was like, well, crap, I need to, I need to get something else to drink besides just water. Because when I'm drinking water, I don't feel like I'm snacking. When I'm drinking a soda, I feel like that satisfies my, my urge to snack. 
Like I feel like when I'm drinking a soda, I feel like I'm snacking and it does something mentally for me. So somebody suggested Zevia Cola to me, which uses no artificial fl- uh, sweeteners and doesn't have the calories. And I tried it. It's like, you know what? I've been hooked on it ever since. And so I drink, I go through not two liters. I go through two cans of a show uh, of Zevia day. When I'm doing my show, I drink, I have one can during the first half of the show. Then I have another can during the second half of the show. And, uh, yeah, I like it. So I'm good on you, Django, for using your your quarantine time to do something productive. I think that's great, man. And thanks for sharing your success story with us. Let us know when you get down to your goal, man. I'd like to hear that. All right, ZOMG Ruler writes, I'm shocked to hear about Daniel Masterson. I was a fan of that 70s show, and now I cannot in good conscience watch that show with a rapist. Disgusting. Uh, what a nightmare of a year for that dude. Also, what would you say? Uh, would you say you're an entertainment talk channel more than a movie talk channel? First of all, uh, as far as the That 70s Show goes, remember, he's not, he hasn't been found guilty of anything at this point. Just I'm, all I'm saying, I'm not saying he did or didn't. I'm just saying he hasn't been found guilty of anything. So there's that. And I don't really care about the TMZ stuff. I would say my show, my channel is a movie channel. I, I do discuss some television here and there. But for the most part, yeah, like if you go through our main topics today, we talked about the Hitman movie. We talked about the Tenant movie. We talked about the Princess Diana movie. We talked about Wedding Crashes, the movie, and we talked about Star Wars, the upcoming movie. I mean, it's yes, every once in a while, some television stuff will get in there. Uh, for sure it does. And I'll talk a little bit of MMA just because I like talking MMA because it's my show, whatever. I can talk about whatever I want. Uh, but yeah, I think if you had to call it something, cause I don't, it's not just an entertainment show. I don't talk music. I don't talk a lot of other stuff. I, we mostly 95% of the stuff we talk about is movies. And so I would still say, even though television gets in there now and again, I would define my channel as a movie channel. That's how I would define it at any rate. And it's a fair question though, ZMG. All right. Mr. TJ Lynn writes, uh, regarding Christopher Nolan yesterday, I said that he was overrated. I still like his films. Well, you can like somebody and still think they're overrated. Like you can like somebody, but not think they're the greatest thing ever. Whereas everybody else thinks they're the greatest thing ever. And to you, that would be overrated. So you can think somebody's overrated and still like them. Anyway, uh, I still like his films, but I personally feel they receive more credit than it should. Anyway, I'm glad I can voice my unpopular opinion without being ganged up on by the mob. This is a safe place for fandom. And Hey, yeah, listen, one of the things that we're always talking about here is like, look, somebody came on the other day and say, what was the movie they said they really disliked? I'm trying to remember what it was. Can't remember if it was The Godfather or if it was uh, Casino or uh, anyway. You know, the thing is, hey, you know what? I disagree because I really like that movie, but you don't. That's cool. We all have different opinions. If you watch Christopher Nolan's films and you think he's the greatest filmmaker of all time, awesome. If you watch his films, you say, hey, he's good, but I, I, I think he gets more credit than he deserves. There's nothing wrong with that. So I'm glad you feel safe in this in this uh, space here, TJ, to share your opinion, whether it's a popular one. Or not. I have tons of unpopular opinions. I have tons of unpopular opinions. It's totally good, man. So thanks for sharing your thoughts, dude. All right. Topher Rocks writes, would you consider Bohemian Rhapsody one of the most successful films of all time? It made over $900 million worldwide on a $60 million budget. It had five Oscar nominations with four wins. Uh, Rami Malek's performance was just amazing as well. Thoughts? I mean... Listen, the term successful will mean different things to different people all the time. Like, what do you consider successful? So let's take um, Shazam for an example. I consider Shazam to be an incredibly successful movie for DC. 
It had like it is one of the highest critically rated movies they've done, one of the highest audience rated movies they've done, a full thrill, enjoyable movie, all that kind of stuff. It made a little bit of money, but it didn't make it wasn't a big hit. It wasn't a big hit. So I look at it as being, man, that was a really successful film for DC. Other people will look at it and say it barely broke even. You can't consider that successful. I mean, so everybody and there's like 20 other different criteria. So I'm going to put the brakes on calling it one of the most successful films of all time. But I could totally see, depending on which criteria you're applying to it, why you would make that argument. All I know is this. I really like Bohemian Rhapsody. I remember I heard some mixed things about it before I saw it. And I remember I came out of seeing it and I, I jumped on my social media right away and I said, I just saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I don't understand why there are a bunch of people saying they don't like this movie. I think this movie's great. But again, it's all subjective. But I really like Bohemian Rhapsody and, and Rami Malek was fantastic in the role. I thought it was a great film. I didn't think it was the best film of the year or anything like that, but I thought it was great. And it's difficult for me because generally I'm not interested in music biopics, but that was one of the ones that I really, really thoroughly enjoyed. All right. Next up. Brian Clark writes, Woohoo! Just scored tickets for Mad Max Fury Road in Cinemark XD for July 3rd. Uh, witness me going back to the theater at last. I mean, that's awesome, man. Again, trying to look on the bright side, trying to find the silver lining, trying to make lemonade out of lemons. One of the silver linings of this whole crappy situation is the fact that we are going to get some great classics coming back to the big screen. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can get this, uh, if I can pull this one off. I'm not sure that I can. But uh, I was just telling you the other day that a buddy of mine sent me a text message and I cannot get this to open, unfortunately. Yeah, I can't get it to open right now. But a buddy of mine sent me a text message. Oh, there it is. Hold a second. I got it here. A uh, buddy of mine sent me a text message saying, hey, AMC is advertising... Uh, AMC is advertising that they have, let me bring it up. He sent me a, a screenshot of his phone. AMC is advertising coming soon, July 9th, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Creed 2, American Sniper, Wonder Woman, and, and there was others. And I'm like, well, oh my goodness, I know what I'm doing on July 9th. I didn't know if I'd ever get to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse on the big screen again. I'm going to go watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Then you get to go watch Mad Max Fury Road. That is, again, the situation sucks. But if we're going to try to find some silver linings, getting to see some of these great movies we love on the big screen again, the way movies are supposed to be watched, that's a silver lining, man. That's a silver lining. So I'm excited for you, Brian. All right, next up, an Alano's viewer writes, John, my man, I'm pretty sure the Oscars know that it's not their role. I think they're simply leveraging the power that they have to express to the studios that, hey, we find this important. And that, just like you and Anne supporting Black Lives Matters, says volumes. I mean, no, I, I get that. But here's my problem. My problem is that the Oscars do things or implement rules that compromise what it is they're supposed to do. The Oscars role is to, like Lady Justice with a blindfold on, is simply supposed to adjudicate what is best. What is the best acting performance by an actor this year? What is the best acting performance by an actress this year? What is the best screenplay written this year? What is the best movie this year? That is the reason they exist. 
for them to compromise the very like if they say like some movie was the best movie of the year but you know what you didn't meet our diversity requirements therefore you you can't be considered for best picture that is a compromise of what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to be now that said if you watched yesterday's John Campia show we talked a little bit about i mean it's hard to get too excited or too angry at the Oscars looking at implementing diversity requirements for eligibility when we don't know what those rules are even going to look like, right? Because without knowing what the actual rules are, we don't know if this is something to be angry about or if it's something to be excited about. We, we just don't know. The BAFTAs and the BFI, the British Film Institute and the British Academy, they have their own set of rules that they implemented last year for uh for diversity requirements for eligibility that there are whispers going around that that's what the oscars are going to try to model it after so i went and looked at their uh i went and looked at their eligibility rules and i gotta say they're not bad actually they're not bad like i was afraid of the oscars coming up with something really draconian and really stifling to creativity and as I read over, you know, I think I'm going to make a special video um, that just if I can get the time, uh, I, I think I should make a special video that just goes into what the BAFTA rules are. And if the Oscar applies those rules, how it would affect the Oscars and actually wouldn't affect the Oscars all that much. So, I mean, a lot is up in the air until we know what these rules are. Again, it's we can't get excited about them. We can't get too angry about them. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned that they implement rules that are so draconian that it compromises what it is they're supposed to be in the first place. But maybe there's a way to do it where it doesn't compromise that. Let's wait and see what the actual rules are. But again, I, I think it would be worth it for us to do a deeper dive into what the BAFTA rules are. Because on its surface, I got to say the BAFTA rules don't look all that bad. And, and the BAFTA rules actually alleviate my worries a little bit. But... We'll go into that a little bit later. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. All right, next up. Uh, Taj and Cars writes, sorry, that Oscar uh, beating of a dead horse topic was mine, no problem. To finish my thought, I'm simply saying that them saying it's important to them is a good thing. I agree. I agree. Uh, we all know it's not their job, but sometimes the powerful and quiet need to speak. They have spoken. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And listen, I also think it's important that the other things the Oscars have been doing, like if we're asking the Oscars to just adjudicate what is best, then make sure that the body that is doing that adjudicating, the Oscars, represents our American society a little bit better. So the Oscars have been taking a lot of steps in the last few years to making sure that their membership is more inclusive and there's more diversity in the membership. Also, they've been making sure that there's more diversity in their board of governors. You know, we were talking the other day about how a filmmaker Ava DuVernay has just been appointed recently to the Board of Governors of the Oscars. These are all good, positive steps. I just want them, when it comes down then to take this body of this diverse group of creators and people in the movie industry, voting on what is best, just make sure your only criteria is what's best. And maybe there's a way to implement other rules. And like I said, the BAFTA rules aren't that bad. I, again, I was afraid of rules coming in that were really antiquated or stifling creatively or be a real burden on filmmakers trying to meet these criteria. But I got to say, looking at the BAFTA rules, I'm like, oh, I'll bet you 70% of Hollywood movies right now without even trying are already meeting these standards. 
So these aren't bad. And you know what, Taj, to a degree, I think you're right. Sometimes even just a symbolic gesture can be very powerful. So we'll see how this all turns out. All right, Taj and Cars also writes, I know you're big on watching in order of release, but recently I showed my girlfriend Aliens as her first step into the franchise, and she loved it. We then watched Alien, and she said that she appreciated it more as a prequel, knowing what comes next. Yeah, I mean, look, there's lots of different ways. Normally, when I say watch in order of release, I'm normally talking about Star Wars. But Aliens, like, listen, I watched Aliens before I saw Alien. I didn't do that on purpose. It's just that I hadn't seen Alien. And then Aliens came out. And I want to see it. And I was able to perfectly understand what was going on in Aliens without seeing Alien. Then I was able to go back and watch Alien and have a deeper appreciation for it. So, yeah, sometimes there might be movies that the other order works a little bit better. I- And, you know, the debate rages on about what's better, Alien or Aliens. They are two very different movies. Alien and Aliens are completely different movies and completely different types of movies, right? Um, I'm, I'm on Camp Aliens. I'm on the camp of the sequel. I think that's the better one. Then I got a lot of my film fan friends who are aghast when I say that. How dare you say the second one's better than the first one? But whatever. It's, it's the ongoing debate, Taj. It's the ongoing debate. Taj also writes, so um, has there ever been a franchise that you entered in the middle, went back to see the original and loved it in the sequence you saw it in? Well, I mean, again, there was Aliens. It happens more with television. Like, for instance, one of my favorite shows is Supernatural. I love Supernatural. I didn't start Supernatural until it was into season three or four, I think. And and I watched a few seasons and then went back and watched seasons one and two. So I think that's happened a couple more times in the realm of television than it has in movies. But uh, yeah, so, so it can happen. It can absolutely happen, my man. All right. Ethan Holgate writes. Hi, John. I would love to see a Stan Lee biopic one day. Not sure about you, but I think that would be amazing to see his life career and how he came up with Marvel. I've just wondered, do you think Disney would be interested in making one because he's the Marvel creator? Um, I'm sure there would be interest in it. Um, I'm sure there would be interest in it. But listen, I- I've talked about this one before. Let me bring it up here again. Um, hold on a second. Uh, Slugfest... Marvel versus DC. Okay, so there is a book out there that um, people uh, on this show recommended to me. I was doing the show. Some viewers wrote in and recommended this book called Slugfest Inside the Epic 50-Year Battle Between Marvel and DC. And if you just want to listen to it, they've got a uh, $17 audio book or I'm an audible, I'm an audible member. So I, I just get it for free. But this book is fantastic. It is fantastic. And a lot of it, as you would think, circles kind of around Stan Lee. There's a lot of Stan Lee stuff in this book. And so while we're all waiting for a biopic of a Stan Lee, if you want to scratch that itch, I highly recommend this book. And I am not sponsored by who wrote it, Reed Tucker or Amazon or whoever it is that publishes this book. I'm not sponsored by them at all. But it is a fascinating book and a lot of great stories about Stan Lee and the struggles and the battles and the the war and the trash talking. Stan Lee was a trash talker, dude. 
Stan Lee was a trash talker. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend you guys check out this book if you got that Stan Lee itch because it's it's really, really good. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next one up comes to us from uh, Bateman89 who writes, who sends in a $50 tip. Thank you so much for that, Bateman. I really appreciate that, dude. Um, uh, John Robb, I've been a fan since the movie blog days. Thank you so much. That's going back a ways. Going back to the movie blog days. That's how I got my start was doing my little website called the movie blog. Um, I've always wanted to ask you these two questions. Why do you love movies, films so much? Also, do you have a home theater set up uh, in your house? Uh, if you do, what gear do you have? Uh, ask Rob Aaron as well. well. Of course, Rob and Aaron aren't here right now. And... Um, why do I love the movies? I, I talk about it a lot. Actually, there's there's a video that I have on YouTube called Why Movies Matter. Hold on a second. Let me just bring this up here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. So, uh, yeah, I found it here. Give me a, give me a second. Um, here's here's uh, the video. You If you just go on YouTube and search for Why Movies Matter, John Campia, this was at... Uh, the AMC leadership conference uh, in uh, where do we go for this? This was in Atlanta. This was in Atlanta, and we did this. Uh, we did this conference, and we had the thousands of uh, AMC leadership from across the world had gathered together, and we talked about this. And I gave this little uh, keynote address called "Why Movies Matter." And the thing for me about why movies matter and why they're important. Here's just the quick. Cole's notes, if you will. And some of you have heard me say this before. This is why movies are so important to me and why I think they, they really legitimately matter. When you look at us as a species, the human race, we are, by definition, we're storytellers. We're storytellers. We use the art of storytelling to express our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our, our terrors, our anxieties, the way we tell stories to portray and express the way we see our world, the way we think our world is, the way we think our world could be, the way we fear our world could turn out. We just do this. When you go back to the most ancient of times, like even the, the stories of, of, of drawings on cave walls, I mean, we are a species of storytellers. And as you progress through the history of mankind, it's really the story of the progress of mankind telling their stories. And you even come up to today into the, the greatest incarnation of storytelling, the movies. You know, we have this thing here that it doesn't matter about what your race is, your gender, your socioeconomical background your sexual orientation, your, it, it, none of it matters. You can sit down at a table and talk with somebody about the movies. You can have nothing else in common in the world, but you can talk, talk about the movies. One of the, the examples I give about this is this, there was this one year at Comic-Con where we rent this house every year, this like 5,000 square foot mansion because it actually ends up being cheaper than us trying to rent hotel rooms, but it's about a 15 minute Uber trip from the convention center, right? So this one year I was in it. I got an Uber to pick me up and to drive me to the convention center. And it was this one dude, Middle Eastern descent, kind of sp spoke a little bit of broken English, kind of stereo, kind of a stereotype, if you will. 
And so he and I, on the surface, had nothing in common, right? Nothing in common. We didn't come from the same places. We have different backgrounds. We had different ethnicities, blah, blah, blah. blah. And we, we barely spoke the same language. But about five minutes into the trip, you know, Comic-Con comes up as a discussion because that's what's going on in San Diego. And I don't know what, how we got around to it, but we started talking about Lord of the Rings. And for the next 10, 12 minutes, he and I just got into this deep dive discussion about Lord of the Rings together. And then when we got that, we, he couldn't get me right to the convention center because cars can't get that far. So when we got to this one hotel, that was about two or three blocks from the convention center where I asked him to drop me off. He stopped the car and we just sat in the car and continued talking for another two or three minutes. So we were just talking. Is there anything else in the world you can do that with? Like the, the art of storytelling connects us. The art of storytelling and our hopes and fears and dreams and terrors and nightmares and, and, and aspirations. These are all things that connect us as human beings. And when you can sit down with somebody from Every conceivable way is from a different walk of life than you. And you can just instantly dive in and connect on that level over something. There's something special there. And, you know, that's and, and movies have become incredibly influential things for individuals and people and cultures and whatever. And you, you look at the influence that like movies like The Godfather even had over multiple cultures across. The world. I remember hearing this one story that Saddam Hussein, you know, who was the dict dictator of, of uh, Iraq. I mean, his favorite thing in the world was The Godfather, an American-made movie. I mean, it just, it just highlights again that regardless of where we are, the stories we tell and the human condition that we have and aspire to is communicated through these stories. These are things that all of us as human beings can connect on. And that's why I think movies matter. And that's why movies are important to me. And that's why I think movies have a place in a world and movies are more than just a distraction. I mean, they're great as a distraction from the real world. Yes, they are, but they're more than that. And, um, that's why I think storytelling is important. That's why I think storytelling is important. So anyway, thank you for sending that in Bateman. I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, we're going to take this uh, answer that I did and we're going to clip it out. We're going to make it its own standalone video on the channel. Give us a couple of weeks to get around to doing that. But so thank you again for writing them. It is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I love that. As far as home theater system goes, I got a nice 75-inch 4K TV with a Sony uh, sound bar and separate speakers and stuff like that. It's nice. But, I mean, no home – it's nice for a home home theater system. It still sucks compared to a real movie theater. Uh, that's always the best way to go. But, anyway, that's what I personally have. So, again, thanks for sending that in. Thanks for bringing up a topic that's near and dear to me. And thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. We really appreciate it. All right. Uh, next up. We go to Jared's Reviews, who writes, Three months since theaters have closed and knocked out another 47 movies, bringing my total to 137 movies. New movies I just watched are Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the U.S. version. I actually, I'm, I'm rare. I prefer the U.S. version over the original version. I like the original version very much, but I actually prefer the U.S. version. Anyway, I Kill Giants, End of Watch, such a good movie. Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena, fabulous movie. End of Watch, uh, Lawless, another really good one. Uh, Lovebirds, wasn't so big on that. Uh, Life of Pi, Independence Day, Road to Perdition, First Man, 
Ali, that's a good one to get caught up on. King's Speech, one of my favorite films of the past 15 years. Uh, the Gift, Monty Python of the Holy Grail. Jaws, Entourage the movie. I like the Entourage movie, by the way. Train to Busan. Aaron just watched that for the first time, too. Us, Crimson Peak, The Danish Girl, The Hate You Give, Artemis Fowl. Philadelphia, the Tom Hanks one that won his first Academy Award for. Swiss Army Man, uh, the one with a dead Harry Potter. Swiss Army Man. Uh, and South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Uh, favorite was End of Watch. Brilliant film. Uh, a brilliant movie. Least favorite was Artemis Fowl. And now my top 10 worst movies ever made. The song... I uh the song I see the light from the the light from tangled the song I see the light from tangled is my favorite song made for a movie but South Park might have topped it with blame Canada had me dying yeah blame Canada is great there's a, you know what totally going a little bit off topic here Jared I still don't know why Celine Dion's um ashes from Deadpool 2 did not get nominated for Best Song at the Academy Awards. Seriously. Like, dead serious. I remember when I first heard that song, I'm like, oh, this song is going to be nominated at the Oscars. Yeah, it's Deadpool 2, but it's going to be nominated because it is incredible, especially the way it ties in. If you have not seen the music video, look up on YouTube, Ashes, Celine Dion, Deadpool, and, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. It should have been nominated... I thought it should have won for best song at the Oscars. It didn't even get nominated. I have no idea why it didn't. But yeah, Blame Canada is a tremendous, tremendous uh, moment, man. All right, Mr. TJ Lynn writes, one of two. Wedding Crashers is my 40-year-old virgin. One of the first movies I watched in cinemas in America when I attended grad school in University of Maryland. They don't show raunchy stuff in theaters in my country uncensored. I just recently rewatched it, and funny thing is, I kind of I'm kind of rooting for the Bradley Cooper character, uh, who is a jerk in that movie because I didn't know him and his character's jerk. But now that he's my favorite actor, I kind of wanted him to get the happy ending. I know it's just one of those funny things where. It was later that a lot of people realized that that was Bradley Cooper back in Wedding Crashers. Now, I was already familiar with Bradley Cooper because of Alias. Um, I, I loved Alias. But, but yeah, man, I, I mean, that's a, lot of, that's a movie that a lot of people go back to and go, wait a minute, that was Bradley Cooper who was the brother in that? Yep, it was Bradley Cooper. Uh, not the brother, the, um, or was he the brother? Yeah, I think it was the brother. No, 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 he was the... Um, um, oh, I'm forgetting the character's name again. Oh, I'm freezing on the name, but yeah, that was him. All right, Silly Goose writes, here's my Star Wars ranking. Number one, Rogue One. Number two, Revenge of the Sith. Number three, Return of the Jedi. Number four, Attack of the Clones. Uh, number five, The Phantom Menace. Number six, The Empire Strikes Back. Number seven, Solo. Number eight, A New Hope. Number nine, The Last Jedi. Number 10, The Force Awakens. Number 11, The Rise of Skywalker. Very, very different from how my list would look, but that's the beautiful thing about movies, but particularly Star Wars. All Star Wars fans have their own order of lists. Like for me still, it's the original trilogy is up here and then everything else is down here. And then the prequels are all the way down on the floor. But I mean, like for me, it's, I mean, it's a Jedi empire, new hope. And then there's a big drop. And then you get the, the force awakens, which I totally, totally love. Then rogue one, uh, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, anyway, then it goes on from there. So your list looks different from the mine, but that's one of the great things about being movie fans and even specifically Star Wars fans is that all of our lists look different. Thanks for sharing yours, silly goose. All right, Frank writes, Hey, John, do you remember the great time when we got a Star Wars movie every year? Damn, I miss these days. Will they ever come back and when? I think they will. 
listen, one of the one of the worst examples. Bob Iger is the greatest movie executive, uh, maybe ever. But everybody's got a bad day at the office. I think the biggest blundering thing that Bob Iger ever said was when they looked at the results of Solo and said, oh, the problem must have been that we're, we made too many movies. That was the problem. We shouldn't have one movie a year. It's like, no, no, Bob. Nobody asked for a solo movie without Harrison Ford. We, we said that from the moment they announced the movie. That we just had Harrison's Ford on screen as Han Solo. Nobody is going to be interested and nobody is asking for a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford. If it had been 30 years since we saw Harrison Ford on screen as, as Han Solo, maybe. But I said from day one, nobody's asking for, people don't want to go to see, and I like Solo. I like it. I think it's a really fun space adventure movie. I thought Ron Howard did a terrific job with it. I really do. But nobody asked for that movie. And so Bob Iger then going, oh, uh, the problem was that we had had too many movies out. That wasn't the problem, Bob. That wasn't the problem. The fact that you were then able to put out other Star Wars movies and they made a billion dollars or more, that kind of proves it. Yeah, I hope, I, I would like to see them get back to one a year. I would, I would like to see them get back to one year. I don't know if that'll happen. Maybe under Bob Chapek, now that he's the new CEO of Disney. I mean, Bob Iger's still his boss because Bob Iger is the chairman of the board still. But now that Bob Chapek is CEO, uh, maybe we'll see some changes there. Uh, who knows? Let's cross our fingers. Sam Chen writes, I had long argued that the iPad Pro made all other tablet slash laptops seem overpriced. And the new 2020 model I just bought uh, reaffirms my point. It destroys the similarly priced MacBook Air in performance and is, in my opinion, the future of mobile computing. I'll tell you what, uh, I bought, listen, the iPad Pro 2020 version is basically the exact same thing as the 2018 version. It's got the same RAM. It's got the same processor. It's got the same everything. The, the one thing is it's got like one extra gig of uh, VRAM or something like that. One extra gig for video processing. And it's got the LiDAR on it, which I don't care about. So last year I bought an iPad Pro. I have not touched my laptop since. I am attached that my iPad Pro is attached to me at the hip and I am not I'm an Android guy when it comes to mobile devices I'm an Android guy my I used to be an iPhone user but I use an Android phone now and I vastly prefer Android but I'll tell you what once I tried and I've got a couple Android tablets once I got my hands on and played around with an iPad Pro I'm like I gotta have this that thing is stupidly powerful like I'm I'm editing Full 4K, multiple streams, video on an iPad, and it's rendering almost as fast as my 8-core, 32, like i9, 32 gig of RAM, SSD, uh, you know, uh, NVIDIA 2080 video card, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's rendering out stuff almost as fast as my main desktop PC workhorse. It's crazy. Like, I, I honestly, I cannot recommend an iPad enough. I, 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 it's a little expensive, but it blows most laptops that are similarly priced completely out of the water. Now, I'm sure if I bought a $3,000 MacBook Pro or a $3,000 souped-up Dell, 
I'm sure maybe that'll outperform my iPad Pro, but I'm going to be spending three times as much for it. And I don't get the, the convenience of it just being a tablet. I am telling you, man, these iPad, iPad, these iPad Pros are sick. They're absolutely sick. And I just adore the one I have. Thanks for sharing, Sam. All right. Darth Wayne writes. Uh, one of the many reasons why I love the death of Logan is how dirty it was. We're so used to seeing the guy who is so hard to kill and you would think he would go out in this big, beautiful fashion, but in Logan, it shows that it isn't always the case. Yeah. There was something very common almost about the death of Logan. I mean, obviously the death of Logan was a very heroic death, right? That, that is without, without dispute. But it wasn't in an epic battle over the city with the television cameras and blah, blah, blah. It was in the woods on a spike of wood. You know, there, were, there was something almost common about it, which I think if that detail leaked in advance, people would have been outraged. But when you watch Logan and you realize the tone of Logan and really what the whole movie was saying, it was as perfect and beautiful as an ending as we possibly could have asked for Darth. I mean, I, I really, it, it, it worked perfectly for that movie. Wouldn't work perfectly for every other movie, but the way Logan was structured, it was the perfect ending for it. I, yeah, man, I, I'm with you on that. I, I'm totally with you on that. All right. Next up, uh, Sam Chen writes, one could literally just own an, oh, still speaking about iPad pro. One could literally just own a new iPad pro and not spend much on anything else. It acts as a 4k HDR media player, a heavy duty desktop, a super portable laptop, a game console, a camera and a sketchbook, etc. This would save some frugal tons of money. Listen, if I didn't do a live show and I needed heavy, heavy, heavy duty video editing for like a documentary I'm working on and all that kind of stuff. If I didn't do that, there would be no reason other than some games, but a lot of games you can play perfectly well. And actually you can play your like PC, you can play your PlayStation games on it. Anyway, there would literally be no other, no reason for me to have any other computer. All I would need is my iPad pro and that's it. I really wouldn't need anything else. And I think for most people, if you have an iPad Pro, that's all the computer you need. You don't need anything else. It, it is really that good. All right. Anyway, Peter Vincent uh, uh, Quetulio writes, Hey, John, I uh, have a very simple question for you. Are there roles for these amazing Hollywood actresses in the MCU? Uh, Meryl Streep, Kate Winslet, and Charlize Theron. If there are, what are these roles? Thanks. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Peter. I don't do X actor in X role things because it's anything. Look, bottom line is this. Any role can be played by any performer if it's a really talented performer, right? Now, you can go to some extreme examples about whether they are, you know, they're a good fit or not. But basically speaking, um, any, any older character in the MCU could be played by Meryl Streep because she's like the world's greatest actress. She's the GOAT. She's the greatest of all time. Kate Winslet's one of the greatest actresses alive. She could play any role. Any role that's a woman roughly that age, she could play it. Uh, Charlize Theron, same thing. She's one of the top 10 best actresses in the world. So, of course, she, she could. So, I, I, I don't do the specific role matching stuff. I never do. That's what, when you hear me say on the show, I don't do X actor and X role stuff. All I ever care about is, is the performer you're talking about a good actor, like a, a, a really talented actor? As long as they are, then go for it. You know, as long as they're a really good actor, go for it. Put them in the role. 
Now, obviously, you don't want Meryl Streep playing a teenage superhero. That's ridiculous. That's why I said you can get into extreme discussions about fit. But generally speaking, and you just mentioned like three of the top 10 actresses in the world. Like that's three of the top 10 actresses in the world. So, yeah, I are you kidding me? If you can put Robert Redford and Sir Ben Kingsley and Sir Anthony Hopkins, if you can put these guys in MCU movies, then absolutely you could get three of the best actresses in the world and find spots for them. Absolutely you could. And it would totally work. It would totally work. All right. K. Lewis Bigelow writes, I 95% agree with you on Man of Steel being a masterpiece, but uh, Maggie Mae Fish just put out a video that probably helps explain why most people disagree with us. I also still think we need a direct follow-up uh, follow to Man of Steel. I, listen, I, I don't care what anybody else puts on YouTube. I've Listen, film's subjective. There are many people who don't like it, and that's perfectly fine. Um, and I didn't make my Man of Steel video to convince people to like it. I made my Man of Steel video. It's called The Case for Man of Steel, the most underrated superhero film of all time. It's up on my YouTube channel. The reason I made that video was just to express, everybody's always hearing me say, I believe Man of Steel is a masterpiece of the comic book genre. I think it's the most underrated comic book film ever made. Um, so I made that video just to express why I feel that way. That's it. And of course, there are many, listen, half the people who saw Man of Steel didn't like it. So there's a lot of people out there who don't like it. I don't care about other people's YouTube videos saying why they don't. I don't care because I'm not trying to get into an argument. I'm not trying to match my point against somebody else's point. I was simply expressing this is why I love this film, why it means so much to me, why I think it's the most underrated film, and why I consider it to be a masterpiece of the comic book genre. Not to debate anyway, not to say, here's why you're wrong if you don't like it. So that's just, that's just kind of my take on it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, listen, it's still a movie, which means it's subjective, which means there are going to be people that don't like it, and there's nothing wrong with that. All right, Kazam writes, uh, non-movie related, but what are your thoughts slash favorite song from the weekend? Good Canadian kid. Uh, he's also had a small role in Uncut Gems. Yeah, I thought I thought he was awful in Uncut Gems. Um Honestly, it, it's it's I'm a little biased just because of the environment that I saw it in. But his song "Pray for Me" is is amazing from uh, from uh, Black Panther. I love that tune. That's my favorite song of his. That's my absolute favorite song of his. All right, an anonymous viewer writes regarding the Disney Plus sp splash. Con this again? Really? We're gonna talk about that again? All right. Uh, regarding the Disney Plus splash controversy, you say Hulk's ass doesn't count, but are we forgetting the sex scene in the first Iron Man? or the strippers on Tony's private jet. It's all still on Disney Plus. Not saying I disagree, but what hypocrites? No, you're no, you're first of all, you you are misusing the word hypocrite. And strippers on the jet, great. They are they aren't naked on his jet. They aren't naked on his jet. And you don't see sex happening. You trying to compare that is completely disingenuous. The the if you don't look honestly, I and I'm just being honest, it's a film fellow film love and brother. I'm just being frank with you here. That's a real stretch. If you don't understand the difference between actually having a woman's naked ass, a, a live action actress's naked ass on screen, which I love, but if you don't know the difference between that and those examples, I, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like if you don't just clearly on its own, see the difference between those things, I don't know how to help you. Now, that doesn't mean, listen, Disney Plus, they have a very specific network that is that they have specific standards for. 
that their communication to families is everything on our network is completely safe for your kids. You don't have to worry about anything if it's on our network. That That's their message. That doesn't mean you can't have other PG stuff in there. But they decided that nudity was straight up female nudity, live action female nudity was crossing a line for them. So they decided instead of cutting the scene out, which would have got people more upset, they just extended some CGI to, to cover her ass. And you can still watch it in its regular form anywhere else you go. But I, again, I just got to say, and I'm not saying you have to agree or disagree, but trying to compare those situations you are is a very, very weak stretch. That's a very weak stretch. And again, if you don't understand the differences between those situations, I, that doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean you have to like it. Not at all. I know a lot of people who don't. But th those are not similar situations in the least. All right, Drew H. writes, I was a huge fan of Love, Simon and decided to give Love, Victor a shot. I watched the first episode and then finished the whole series. If you love the movie, you're going to love the series. Lots of heart and, actual, uh, and actually improves upon what the movie did. I've heard different things, Drew. I've heard that Love, Victor is actually pretty good, but not as good as Love, Simon. I was really pleasantly surprised by Love, Simon. That is just a really good, charming little film with a lot of heart. I... It, much better of a film than I thought it was going to be. And so I'm curious about Love, Victor. What I've been hearing is that Love, Victor's good. It's just not as good as Love, Simon. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be as good as Love, Simon. But you felt it improves upon it. Just another recommendation for us to keep in mind. All right. Diamond Dog's Puppy writes, Good day, John. Good day. Overlooked film of the day is 2008 Zack and Mary Make a Porno. I like Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Great small roles for Brandon Routh and Justin Long as this, this bickering gay couple, which is absolutely hilarious in it. I like, I mean, it's not one of the best comedies, but I actually really do like that movie. Uh, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, hilarious, sweet, and great chemistry between the cast. One of my favorite Kevin Smith films. Elizabeth Banks was also flaming hot. Diamond Dog over and out. Oh yeah, I, I had a bit of a crush on uh, Elizabeth Banks ever since 40 year old virgin, like for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Zach and Mary maker porno is a charming little comedy and it's fun and funny, not an all time great or anything like that. Not one you're going to go back and watch every single year, but I endorse diamond dogs recommendation. You haven't seen Zach and Mary maker porno and you're just looking for something fun and light to watch one night. Check it out. I think you're going to enjoy it. All right. Thanks for that recommendation. Tom Woodward writes, I, uh, since I finished Love, Victor, I can say that I overall liked it, but it felt more like a CW show when Love, Simon felt like a John Hughes movie. That's an interesting analogy. Uh, if Erin is still here, let her know that she is the best. Love her on this show. She classes up the place. Yes, she does. It's, it's really cool. You know, having somebody, you know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I like having Rob on the show is because, you know, he's actually worked. On, he's been on set of Lord of the Rings. He's worked in this. He's directed television programs. He's a producer of major motion pictures. He's in that business. It's one of the reasons why I like having Aaron. She's actually a working actress in Hollywood. Like she's got a movie she's doing with Will Smith. I mean, and she's been in all these shows that we watch and all this kind of stuff. And I just like being able to get those different people's perspectives. And it's uh, and she just brings that to the place. You're absolutely right, Tommy. She classes up the joint. And I like your analogy. I haven't seen Love, Victor yet myself, so I, I don't know how accurate your analogy is. But I like that. One felt like a CW show. One felt like a John Hughes movie. Interesting analogy. I'll keep my eye open for that. All right. McDavid deserves better rights. Vegas is all but confirmed as one of the two NHL playoff host cities. Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto are the remaining frontrunners. Edmonton has the most high-tech facility and the safest COVID bubble. Vancouver is a very close second, and Toronto is preferred by the players. Who should host? Oh, I mean, that's... 
I mean, I look, I, I'm a I'm a Toronto guy, so I was I think Toronto. But that being said, from a logistic point of view, uh probably Vancouver. Because like if you're if 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 Vegas is one of those places, I think the closest place to travel to then is Vancouver. Just hop in a plane, fly straight north. I think Edmonton would be a little further away, and Toronto is on completely the opposite coast. So my vote would be Toronto because I'm biased. But from a logistical point of view, I think Vancouver makes the most sense. So I don't know. It's a good question. I'm just excited about hockey, getting back to watching some hockey again. You know, I was a little bit worried that watching hockey or any pro sports without the crowd, without the audience, without the fans would be too weird. But then the UFC came back. And you know what? I mean, I prefer it with the crowd, but it's perfectly fine. I don't, I don't even notice that the crowd's not there anymore. And so I think we'll probably get adjusted to watching some sports without a crowd for a while, too. So I'm just looking forward to hockey coming back, dude. All right. Kazam writes, okay, back to movies. Do you think Shang-Chi gets delayed? If it does, how much of an impact will it have on the MCU? I honestly don't know. And, you know, how much, how interconnected each individual movie is to what's supposed to come out after it is we just don't know every movie will will be different in that way every movie will have its own impact the bigger the bigger question isn't how much of an impact does shang chi have on the movies around it how much does the other movies have an impact on shang chi a lot of the stuff a lot of movies calendar uh, of marvel's calendars have been moved around so I, i i just don't know it will be interesting all i know is that this is one of my more anticipated ones coming up on the Marvel slate is Shang-Chi. And there's not a lot of them that I'm super excited about right now. I'm super excited about Thor Love and Thunder because it's Taika Waititi and it's Thor. I'm very interested in Eternals. I'm very interested in the next Doctor Strange. I'm very, but, you know, we're just kind of in a weird place where I'm, there's not a lot that I'm super excited about on the MCU upcoming slate. That doesn't mean I won't completely love the movies when I see them. I'm just saying right now from the outside looking in, there's not a lot that I'm super stoked about right now. But after Thor Love and Thunder, it might be Shang-Chi for me. So I hope I hope we just get to see it as soon as we possibly can, dude. All right, John McKinney writes, one of two. As many of you know, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is my favorite Disney movie and Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie. I find it to be a coincidence that they have characters I like that the majority hates. Um, in Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's the Gargoyles. I thought they were hilarious. In Return of the Jedi, it's the Ewoks. I can't understand why people don't like the Gargoyles, but I never understood why people don't like the Ewoks. That's just me to each their own. Yeah, I... Again, honestly, I don't even think about the gargoyles. I'll be honest with you. I don't even think about the gargoyles when I think about the hunchback. Um, That said, everybody knows how I feel about the Ewoks. The Ewoks are pivotally important, and I think they're awesome. I really do. I think the juxtaposition of the Ewoks representing the dichotomy between the natural world and the um, industrialized world is just a, is a beautiful living analogy in the movie itself. And the Ewoks themselves as characters, I just awesome people, oh, they just cute little teddy bears. F you. The Ewoks are savage hunter killers. They trap you. They tie you up. They don't even give you the decency of killing you first. They will hang your body over an open fire as you burn to death. 
they cook you alive. As your screams echo through the Endorian night. And then finally, when the sweet release of death finally comes after you've been cooked alive, they will tear your body apart and eat your flesh. And then once they're finished eating you, they'll take your shiny head, stick it on a pike and use it as drums in their celebrations. Don't F with the Ewoks. That's just our message for today. Anyway. So that's how I feel about it, John. So I'm with you on the Ewoks, man. I am with you on the Ewoks. Okay, next up. Uh, Muhammad writes, Hey, John and crew, finally watched Defy Bloods last night. Oh my God, I don't know if this is just because of the current times, but my opinion is this movie deserves at least a best screenplay nomination. Definitely in my top three for 2020. Thanks for a great show. I definitely have it in my top five. I, I liked it very much. It, to me... I mean, it's still far too early to talk about locks for any nominations because it's still far too early in the year. The movie theaters are about to open back up and we still got six months of movies to go. But if you were going to make a case for Defy Bloods right now, and I had to say, John, right now you have to say one thing is a lock for a nomination, even though there's no such thing this early. But if I had to say one was, it's Delroy Lindo uh, for, for best performance by a leading actor. That would be the one I would go to right now. His performance in it is nothing short of stupid. It's nothing short of stupid. It's so good. Um, I like Defy Bloods very much. Again, I maybe I just got spoiled because of Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which I think is much better than Defy Bloods, but Defy Bloods is still really good. And for me, it's probably in my top five of the year so far, but Delroy Lindo would be the one that I would think right now. If I had to put money on it, that Defy Bloods would get one Oscar nomination, what will it be? My money would have to be on Delroy Lindo. That's where I'd have to put it right now because he's like probably the best performance I've seen of the year so far. My favorite movie of 2020 is still The Gentleman, but Delroy is probably my favorite performance so far this year. All right. Next up, uh, Stephen writes, hey, John, hope you're having a great day. I am so far. Thank you. What season slash episode are you uh, at in Avatar? Oh, I finished it. Uh, and how are you liking the show so far? Will you make a video review of the show? PSX Snyder released a teaser for Justice League. Yeah, I saw it. It's really not much, but whatever. Um, uh, no, I loved Avatar. I did. I will not be doing a video. Rev There's no point in doing a video review for it. It's a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, however old Avatar is. There's no point in me taking time to do a video. I don't have the time to do a video for it anyway. Um, but there's just simply no point in me taking the time and energy to make a review video for it when it's that old. No one's going to be interested in watching it at this point, so there's no point. But I really enjoyed it. I First season, everybody warned me. Every To be fair, everybody warned me that the first season is probably the most childish season. But even the first season had a lot of great mythology ground building to it. And then you get into seasons two and three and it just takes off. And I, by the time I was done, I really enjoyed it. I liked it so much. I immediately started watching Legend of Korra. Wasn't so big on Legend of Korra. I, I gave up on that one after about three episodes. But yeah, Avatar, I, I've been talking a lot about it. So I really enjoyed it very much. Or uh, Steven, I enjoyed it very, very much. All right. Cecil writes, uh, Avatar the James Cameron avatar was king of the box office until Endgame, in part because of uh, re-released over under 20% that Endgame will be re-released and that Endgame will be re-released and due to the pent up desire to return to the theaters hit 3 billion. Uh, no re-releases don't cause you're talking about a movie need to make like almost 300 million to get to 3 billion. So no, I mean, re-releases just don't do that. Not today. Re-releases today, even popular ones don't do anywhere near that business. 
what you're going to see happen is like, l listen, again, it's this whole thing. Well, Avatar only because of real. OK, yeah, but then you get the Avatar people who make the argument. The only reason Endgame like Avatar broke its set its record and held the record for nearly a decade by being a single standalone movie. Whereas Endgame, this is what the Avatar defenders will say. Okay, I'm just playing devil's advocate for both sides here. Okay, so don't get mad at me. I'm just saying. The Avatar people will make the argument, and there's a good argument made. Endgame couldn't do, didn't do it on its own. Endgame had to have a 10-year buildup of 20-plus movies with literally a list of 30 big major Hollywood stars for it to finally barely beat Avatar's record. Avatar was just a single standalone movie. Came out all on its own. Boom. Hit the record and held the record for nearly 10 years. Endgame needed 10 years, 20 plus movies, 30 plus stars, all this kind. That's the argument they'll make. To me, I don't care about any of these arguments. I don't care about the argument that, oh, Avatar had a re-release and oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear Avatar people going, well, if you take inflation into consideration, Avatar still beats Endgame. I don't care. I don't want to hear about Endgame, you know, had 20 plus year, had 20 plus movies, and but I don't care. The bottom line is, who is the overall champion right now? Right now, it's Endgame. But before Avatar 2 comes out, I'm going to guarantee you, Disney is going to re-release the original Avatar. As And it hasn't been just a year since we saw Avatar. It's been over a decade since we've seen Avatar in theaters. And they're going to pump and promote that saying, return to Avatar again for the first time and all that. And it's going to pass Endgame. And it will be the number one film of all time. So that Disney can then promote Avatar 2 saying, come see the sequel to the highest grossing box office film of all time. And then what Disney will do, Disney will then sometime later re-release Endgame. So then Endgame will become the number one box office film again of all time. It doesn't, it's all Disney. It's all Disney. So Disney's going to play this little game of leapfrog to meet their marketing desires. We want to market Avatar 2. Well, let's make sure Mar Avatar, because Avatar is only this far behind Endgame. So they're going to go, okay, let's make sure Avatar uh, is the number one box office film of all time again, so we can market that. For that. And that's what we're going to do. You're going to see this hop, skip, and a jump through this. But I don't think, I don't see either of them hitting 3 billion. People just don't go out and see re-releases to that scale anymore. So no, I don't see that happening. Uh, it's not impossible. Certainly not impossible, but I, I just don't see, personally, I don't see it happening, but we'll see. All right, Simon Blakemore writes, Hey, John and Aaron, I hope you all are doing well. I know this is not a movie, this is not movie belated, you probably meant related, but I thought uh, you'd like to know this news, damn, uh, Vera Lynn, the Force's sweetheart, who's saying we'll meet, oh yeah, died today at 103, May yeah, I did see that, I saw that in uh, my uh, my fe news feeds a little bit earlier, and uh, that was that was very sad to see, but I mean, it's, you know, Rob talks about this sometimes, when you're talking about people who pass away at like 85, or who pass away at, um, uh, at 90, or who pass away at 100, you know, it's hard to be too terribly sad 
as much as it is a wonder of 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 a white a life well lived, you know. So, but anyway, thank you for bringing that up, man. That's a good one to bring up. Thanks for sharing that. All right, next up, uh, Gray Shot One One Seven writes, "Hey, John, you can stream on Twitch and YouTube at the same time, so long as you're not a Twitch partner." or sub if something happens with youtube then you have a safety net plus thank you for the great content over three weeks while i recovered from covid dude that's so good to hear that you recovered that is awesome i and, and here's hoping you were able to quarantine and not spread it to anybody else so good on you and thank you for letting us be there as you went through your healing process yeah listen i i honestly i have my eyes open for a, a bunch of different things youtube youtube is first of all Everybody complains about YouTube. Let's start by saying YouTube is great in many, many, many ways. It's this free platform where I can stream and host all these videos for free. And it gives me a wonderful community. And listen, everybody bags on YouTube. Let's start by recognizing how great YouTube is. YouTube is pretty awesome. That said, it also presents some certain challenges for people like me. And I have been for almost a year now, been considering and trying to think about what would an alternative be for the John Campia show um, if I didn't want to be on YouTube because it's just fraught with problems and dangers and all this kind of stuff. And I've gone, gone everything from maybe I switch over to Twitch, but Twitch has some limitations. It's great if you're a gamer, but it has some limitations for the type of content that I do. Then I thought about, well, maybe like a Vimeo. Well, that has some real problems as well and limitations. Hell, I, I, I won't lie to you. I even considered being VOD. Like we have a tremendously great uh, Patreon community uh, that support this show and support this channel. And like I even thought about and some people suggested to me maybe just making the John Campus show Patreon only. Like maybe put up a couple of clips from The Daily Show on YouTube, but doing the full show uh, exclusively for Patreon supporters. And, you know, saying like for for like $5 a month, uh, you get uh, two hours a day. You get 10 hours of content a week for The John Campia Show. It'd mean a lot less viewers, but, you know, hell, if I had like 10,000 people subscribe because you know like anywhere between 20 and 40,000 sometimes 50,000 people watch an episode of the John Campia show if we just had like like 6,000 people signed up it would pay for all the bills it would pay my salary it would pay the salary of my staff it would pay for all the gear it would pay for all of our services it would pay for everything and all we need is 6,000 subscribers we wouldn't need to have 50,000 viewers a day or anything like that Again, I, I'm not saying I've, I've come to any conclusion. I certainly haven't. I'm just saying that it's it's been um, it's been a a topic of of discussion and consideration for me and the people that work with me for a while. And yeah, I I, I just keep my eyes open. And we'll we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Gray Shot. I appreciate it. Okay, next up, uh, my Tam Morph writes. Uh, an awesome movie with Kristen Stewart is Speak. She really shows her skill to roll without much speaking. I'm not familiar with Speak. Hold a second. I thought I was familiar with most of her movies. Oh, it's one of her older ones. We're, we're going all the way back to 2004. After a blurred 
a trauma over the summer. Uh, Melinda enters high school, a selective mute, struggling with school, friends, and family. She tells the dark tale of her experiences and why she has chosen not to speak. Okay, that sounds awesome. Oh, Elizabeth Perkins is also in it. I like Elizabeth Perkins. Um, I, that sounds awesome. I have never even heard of this one before. I have never heard of this one before. Sign me up. Thank you for recommending that one, uh, Mitomorph. I appreciate that. I might have to check that one out. All right. Jedi Koth writes, I remember The Sixth Sense also had a gain in weekend box office in its fifth and sixth weekends per box office mojo due to the great word of mouth. Also, phenomena at the time. Uh, was it just because of that or did it have a theater increase? Or I have to go. That's interesting trivia right there, Jedi Koth. That's a really interesting fact. I'm going to have to go and check that out because if it is, that's a terrific... I mean, give me a second. Let me try that again. That is a terrific piece of movie trivia. Uh, I got to go and check that out. I'd be curious to know if that was like, if maybe if it was in a smaller release for the first few weeks and then had a wider release, I, I don't know. But if that's just, it had a, it went back up. That's interesting. That's really, I mean, listen, there have been a number of movies in history that once they get into week six, like, oh, there's a big surge and week seven had more than week six. There's been a lot of movies that something like that has happened, but what is tremendously rare is a second weekend makes more than the first week because the first weekend is when you make all the money, right? So that's super rare. I think there have been other, so I don't know if you're saying that the sixth weekend was bigger than the fifth, or if you're saying that the sixth weekend was bigger than its opening weekend, because that would be a super rare thing, but I got to go look into that. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. All right. K Major writes. Hey, John, I did some digging. The reason Ashes wasn't nominated. Ah, here we go. Thank you for doing some digging, K-Major. Uh, it was ineligible for a nomination for the award for best song because it was originally written with another film in mind. Uh, the same thing happened to Come What May from Moulin Rouge. Interesting. Uh, John, this is the best. Um, oh, sorry. 2-2. Uh, uh, Come What May was originally written for Leonardo DiCaprio's Romeo and Juliet. I didn't know that because that is a great song. Come what may, I will love you. I love Moulin Rouge. For those of you who don't know, I freaking love that movie. I didn't know that about that. But that's interesting. I didn't. I, I was left wondering if maybe Ashes was ineligible. Because it's such a good song and ties in so perfectly with the movie. I couldn't understand why. So that actually makes a lot of sense, Jaron. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, man. Or uh, uh, K-Major. I appreciate that. All right. Um, all right. Jaron Morris writes, John, this is the best. So uh, they're trying to set up a fight with Darren Till and Mike Perry. I think that's already, hasn't that fight already been signed? I think that fight already is signed. And Mike Perry, they've been going at it lately. And Darren Till uh, won, won the trash talk. He made a website called Mike Perry is a bum. He paid a web designer to promote it. Please check it out. Oh, I know. He did more than that. Darren Till actually created a bunch of fake Instagram accounts to troll Mike Perry's stuff. And it's all Mike Perry is a bum stuff. Oh yeah. He's going the extra mile to try to, promote this fight i don't think mike perry is actually very good and darren till is i think darren till is going to beat him up pretty good but we'll see we'll see uh mike perry's got a lot of power uh, okay and the final question of the day comes to us from uh dritz who writes i love star wars but i think one Star Wars movie every two to three years is enough. I mean, we went decades without new ones. I still think franchise fatigue can get real. I rather want a movie uh, to take their time with uh, good new ideas than just a mass of new stories. Okay, yeah, but then how do you then then why can we have four MCU movies in one year? 
why can you watch 10 episodes of Breaking Bad in one year? Like, see, I've never bought into that. I, to me, that is a cool thing to say that a lot of people say, oh, you don't want to get fatigued with it. Okay, but justify that statement. How can you get fatigue over two hours of something a year, but you'll watch 12 hours of something else in one year? You don't get fatigue. People didn't get fatigue with, I don't know, The Wire. People don't didn't get fatigue with this show or that show or whatever. They watch like 15 hours of it every single year. Why can't we have two hours or two and a half hours of something else one year? And by the way, Warner Brothers puts out 12 movies a year. Yet we don't say they're rushing movies because they have different teams of people developing those movies. Kevin Feige is overseeing all the MCU, yes, but he has different teams of people. Like Peyton Reed works three, four years on an Ant-Man movie before it comes out. So just because you have a Star Wars movie every year doesn't mean it's the same director and same crew and same everything every single year. Like, I, again, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, you don't want to get fatigue and you don't want to rush it. Well, okay, but that doesn't actually apply. Like, tons of other movie franchises and television shows put out 10 episodes, 20 episodes of a thing a year. And we don't say, oh, we're going to get fatigued of it if we get 20 episodes, 20 hours of content in a month. I just don't think it's... It's a false comparison. That, that's how I feel about it anyway, Dritz. I, I feel like it's a false comparison. I don't think that actually adds up logically. When you really sit down and look at it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Two and a half hours of content a year is not something that would give you fatigue. Lack of quality will give you fatigue. Like people, people keep have been saying forever, oh, comic book movie. They've been saying for 10 years, comic book movie fatigue is about to set in. Nope. As long as the movies are good and people are enjoying them, they're not going to get fatigued of it. If it's good content and if they enjoy it, you can do three movies a year. You can do five movies a year. Hell, when Sony, Fox, DC, and Marvel were all putting out comic book movies, you have seven, eight comic book movies a year. The vast majority of them were at least good. Some of them stunk, but most of them were at least good and some of them were tremendous. And so there was no comic book movie fatigue. The question isn't that you got to space them out every two to three years. It's just, you just got to make sure the content's good. And I think if you do that, then I think, then I think you cross the finish line, Dretz. I really do. I think you cross the finish line. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. All right, guys, that will do it. For today's installment of The John Campion Show, thank you so much for making this show a part of your day. Don't forget The John Campion Show returns again tomorrow. I hope you will join me for that. Uh, guys, listen, make sure you do, you do the main important things. Please stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. Make sure you go and subscribe to the YouTube uh, channel here. It'll keep you updated on everything we got going on on the channel. Also, make sure you go and subscribe to the podcast so the audio-only version is there when you need it. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.